This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking double feature, Dunkirk and Valerian, the city of a thousand planets. Lorline and Valerian are going to war against Tom Hardy. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. Hi, how are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other film movie topics. This is episode 293. 293. 293. The big 293. We did it. 293 is big, Abe. You are correct, because we are doing a double episode this week. That's right. A double episode for two films that are... Like, Probably equally, yeah, audio. equally a lot to talk about. Equally a lot to talk about, but also just films I've been heavily anticipating, and mm-hmm. they both come out in the same week, and so we get to talk about both of them. Um, they are, of course, Dunkirk and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, from Christopher Nolan and Luke Besson. And uh, joining us today to talk both Dunkirk and Valerian, we have from Fast Film Reviews, he's the best pilot on this podcast, it's Mark Hoban. Hi, everyone. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'd like to dub this the Wrigley's Double Mint Gum podcast because we're doubling our pleasure. We've got two movies this week. And doubling the fun. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, good. I'm glad to have you here. I know you're excited about these films um, as far as, you know, looking forward to seeing them. And now we have seen them. Now we can talk about them. These are two of my personal most anticipated films of the year. So... Yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna get into that. And, and I know you know Abe. I know you've been looking forward to these as well. I know we're big Luke Besson fans. Definitely. I know we like Christopher Nolan. Right. So I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm you know I, I like to keep it mellow. As as a reminder, we don't really I, for it's, at least I don't. And I know Abe probably doesn't. We don't really know what we all thought of these movies. So that's I, on I'm purpose, certainly curious. By the way, yeah. it is on purpose. For, and I'm for the listeners, curious. I'm saying I'm explaining to the listeners. Yeah. That's on purpose. Like I generally don't like to hear or read what Aaron feels about a movie until when we record so that kind of keeps us <laughs> fresh yeah fresh and also sometimes i'm surprised sometimes i'm like huh i uh, i couldn't disagree more so yeah yeah so there, there we are because i know we're, we're all anticipating these movies and we all have varying thoughts we don't really know what we thought i think so we'll see where we go from there but with all that said let's get some show notes real quick first uh first up um, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. We recorded a memento commentary in honor of a new Christopher Nolan film. That was a lot of fun to record. I'll keep emphasizing that because uh, Brandon, Abe, and I. Order, order. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we we had some fun with the with the recording. <laughs> but Brandon, Abe, Jim, and I, uh, we recorded a really cool memento podcast uh, commentary track, and I think we did a pretty great job of covering uh, the I learned entire a lot. film. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, speaking of bonus episodes, there is a Comic-Con bonus episode. By the time you're listening to this podcast, that episode should be posted online on Audio Boom and iTunes, of course. Um, I was able to sit down with my lovely girlfriend, Anna, as well as uh, friends of the show, Jordan Grout, uh, Brian White from Why So Blue, as well as Bron Anderson from Why So Blue, a guest that I look forward to getting back on the show at some mm, point because okay. it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Um, but we all sat down at a round table on Saturday night after Comic-Con and recorded all the to- all of what we've seen so far at that point, which is you know, all the big stuff. Um, so that's that was a really fun episode to record. You could be able to hear that now if you haven't already. There is a bit of a stutter to it. The recording situation was not the best for whatever reason. 
Uh, not sure why, but I've done my best to edit it so it you know sounds as coherent as possible. But please bear with it because there's a lot of really cool information in there. I think we had a lot of fun recording it. We were all very tired but still excited about talking about all those things we talked about. Now, this was in San Diego that you guys recorded it? Yes, this was in San Diego. Yeah, this was after we got back from that the convention center that night. It was like um, it was we recorded past midnight, but we were all very tired because <laughs> we all, as you know, Abe, we've talked about this but uh, over the years. There's lot there's giant lines to get into some of the stuff, especially so, Hall H, where the big that, panels are. That's what I appreciate about your podcast, Aaron, is that you wait in line so I don't have to. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. You, you are. Well, welcome, I, I can yeah. glean from your experience without having to like. I mean, I I would enjoy the presentations. I just I'm not a big fan of waiting in line. Mm-hmm. Well, with some careful planning, I mean, there we took shifts as far as waiting in the lines and whatnot to wait overnight so we can get the, the required wristbands, so we can get into the big halls, so we can see the big presentations. See, you came with we... a plan. That's always good. It's good to have a group. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, yes, we, we saw a lot of really cool stuff. That's why we're not, I'm not going to go too far into some of the stuff that happened because that we have a whole episode devoted to all that stuff that I heard that happened already. So f- feel for, be sure to check that one out. Cause I think we did a great job of talking about the stuff from a variety yeah, of angles with uh, our banner photo contest. It is the last week of July, right? Is it, am I right about that? It's uh, almost yeah, the right. last week. It's basically, we have week. Monday next week. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've had a Facebook contest, a contest to get a new banner for our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash out now podcast. We want to get a cool new banner photo that says out now with Aaron and Abe on it has some kind of image that fits the you know theme of the show, summer movies and what have you. Nothing explicit, but something pretty cool that I think would be fun to kind of you know put on the on the on as the new like cover cover photo um if you want to submit something uh go for it uh submit it over out now podcast at gmail.com or just message us on our facebook page or on twitter as well at out now out now underscore podcast um and if you do we'll send you a prize if you're in the united states if you're outside the united states we will still find a way to give you a prize uh, so yeah it'll be it'll be nice what else episode 300 it's coming, coming up abe and i are talking about it we have some really cool ideas yeah, and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, keep that we'll tease it like that. Yeah. We got some cool ideas, though. And we do. Yeah, we'll say this: it will most likely involve Abe and I, as well as other guests, being in the same area at the same time. So, take that as you will, and we'll see what happens. By that, we mean holograms. Yes, holograms. Yeah. There was a Jared Leto hologram in. Okay, that's for the Comic Con episode. I'm just I was, I was, you meant, wait, what? Jared Leto hologram? What? There was a Jared Leto hologram at the Blade runner 2049 battle it was it was something <laughs> there you go I, tease the that was a episode. really good tease now i just want you to talk about that but i know i guess i, I should because it was i guess wild. if if he can't be there in person that's the hologram is probably the next best thing yeah yes. i know that jared leto does invest a lot in technology in startups so you know he's, he's finding movies and he does a great Tupac impression, so it was really beneficial to see him <laughs> comic on doing holograms. Did he get method? Um, of course he did, yeah. Full blackface. <laughs> let's, uh, uh, let's get to the summer gamble. Um, as listeners know, and new listeners are about to find out because I'm about to ramble on about it for a couple minutes, um, Abe and I, as well as Mark, and as well as other members that are frequent guests on the podcast, we are all engaged in a battle right now for yes. determining which films are going to be the highest grossing films of the summer at the domestic box office. And as we've been doing every week, we're giving kind of a bit of a recap as to what happened at the box office this weekend. Um, anyway, uh, so Dunkirk and Valerian, obviously big releases. Girl Strip also came out this weekend, and I'll just go down the list right now. Dunkirk opened to $50 million. That's a pretty strong start right there. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what kind of legs the film has. But it's definitely good... higher than I think was a, what was expected. Uh, yeah, I 
I, I, I mean, it's, it's an yeah. expensive film, but I, I still think that, you know, it's a World War II epic. Mm-hmm. The expectations were kind of measured. Yeah, I, I would say I was certainly holding out for the kind of the older audience that would be engaged by this because you can't really track that because they're not going on Fandango to reserve tickets. They're just showing up to the movie theater. But uh, yeah, it's it's a strong opening for sure. It bodes it's the, uh, c- the the cinema score, which we'll get to. Um, I know for Dunkirk was like an A minus, so it's certainly liked. And, I th- uh, think it's pretty safe to say that it's the kind of film that you would expect to have strong legs. So, yeah. you know, how it opens... I mean, it opened pretty well, and I think it that speaks well that it probably will have fairly decent legs. It probably will gross more than most films that would open at fifty million. I would I would agree. I, I don't think it's about to kind of take a deep dive for the next, especially because there's you know we're kind of past the major film. I mean, Atomic Blonde is next week, and then The Dark Tower will bomb, so we don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> you are so against. I mean, that you know, I want to see Idris Elba act. Hey, they're, they're, they're screening the film. I will it's see the movie. It's got Idris Elba, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, hey, what's not to like? Yeah, they'll both be in it for 95 minutes in PG-13 <laughs> territory. <laughs> so, um, and that kid no, looks yeah, promising. You know, let's not I mean, leave that kid out. I uh, I got so bored talking about The Dark Tower <laughs> that I picked up my Kingsman fidget spinner that I got at Comic-Con. Another thing <laughs> that I'm teasing. Spin. I'm serious. It has a big kid. It's a big Kingsman nobody, fidget nobody spinner. Nobody likes fidget spinners. I had no idea what they're used for until now. It's something I can hold in my hand while I do other things. But anyway, Dunkirk opened 50 million. That's another tease for the Comic-Con episode. Um, second place was not Valerian. Um, it was Girls Trip with $30 million. This is, um, I wouldn't say it's a good opening. And honestly, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's the kind of thing we talk about every year when, you know, a, a film targeting a different demographic, let alone the female audience, um, happens to play well with the demographic that is not served all that well all the time, especially during the summer. Um, but yeah, this is a well-reviewed uh, comedy uh, featuring what Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, Regina Hall. Is it Regina and, Hall? Uh, is yeah. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, and um, uh, Tiffany Haddish. Uh, I know it's directed by Malcolm D. Lee of The Best Man and The Best Man Holiday and mm-hmm. Barbershop The Next Cut. I like Malcolm D. Lee, so I. I that's it's undercover I find, brother. Undercover Brother, which is a solid comedy. It is uh, hilarious. It is I, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's a great start for that film. And that, you know, it, if it holds, which it very well could, given that it's the only kind of movie of its type that's, you know, well liked, um, that, that could that could that could be an upset on the summer gamble. I mean, that could, yeah. that could I wouldn't know, be surprised. A, a possible top 10. Yeah. Yeah. That could be right there at number 10 or whatnot. So we'll see. Uh, Valerian. As I mostly predicted, uh, did not do well this weekend. It opened to seventeen million dollars. Um, now that said, the movie is more of a. So, as far as my expectation, uh, the movie was going to do well internationally and probably not do well here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I can only hope that the movie does very well overseas, which I'm sure it probably will. Um, in addition to whatever kind of extra money it makes in the United States, uh, like, I wish, I it, I wish it would be better. And I, so I kind of wish it was. If I. Uh-huh. If I can put a positive spin on it, it opened bigger than King Arthur. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it every time, every time than, we, we talk about King Arthur, Knight. I just I always think about Marcus, and I'm just like, sorry, Marcus. <laughs> I'll say that it's very it's very similar to Tintin because Tintin made like a ton of money uh, overseas Definitely. before coming to America. Right. Um, other things, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, the second weekend, it dropped sixty three percent to make another twenty million, giving it up to ninety seven right now. Um, it's certainly, you know, it's making its money. Uh, I, it's not as strong as I think some people may have predicted, um, and there's a variety of reasons why, but we don't need to get to that. I'll just say, check Scott Mendelson's page. He knows a thing or two about box office. Um, 
Spider-Man still making money. Uh, Despicable Me is still making. You know, all these movies are making money. Happy to see Baby Driver is still sticking around. Uh, yeah, very still very top 10. Really caught up, very yeah. small very small drops between its weekends. It's maybe gonna make it over a hundred million, which would be really cool for Edgar Wright. Like yeah. that'd be that'd just be a yeah. cool thing to like. It's already done. It's already his biggest movie ever. Um, both I think we're all Edgar Wright fans, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. we like to see that. So yeah, and it's certainly it's certainly his biggest film. Um, Overall, like it's made 118 million worldwide. Um, given that it costs 34 million, much smaller than Valerian, that's a huge win. It's no shock to see sequel talk, and so we'll see what comes from that. Um, Transformers is out of the top 10, by the way. Just wanted to say that out loud. Um, <laughs> and um, that's it. Wonder Woman still in the top 10. Um, oh, oh, and yeah. Wonder Woman officially became the number one film of the summer. Uh huh. Nothing's about to make uh, unless the Dark Tower really surprises. It's not a Dark Tower's gonna make 400 million, Come buddy. On. That's, <laughs> that's not happening yet. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Wonder Woman's on its way to make being over four, hitting over the four hundred million mark uh, domestically. Hmm. Um, and, so yeah. and once again, my my pick for the number one film of the summer is wrong. Yep. But to be fair, Happens all of us are wrong. Yeah, 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 we were all wrong. But yeah, there's not even like, a, well, what if guys and somebody else put it? Nobody did that yeah. this year. Yeah. <laughs> the only but kudos think, to I'll, Wonder Woman and crew. You know, that's well deserved. It sure. is. It was a. It was a good movie. That's the thing. It was that. It was good enough to be number one. Right. Um. So yeah, with all of that out of the way, uh, that's the, that's that's the box office gamble, and of course we'll be updating throughout the you know the rest of the month here. But yeah, the end of uh, the end of August, the beginning of September is going to be when we you know track the results of this, and we'll, it'll be very curious to see what's happened because there's been a lot of you know things have underperformed and some things have overperformed. So we'll see uh, how it all tallied out. Hmm. Uh, Moving on real quick, iTunes reviews and ratings. If you like all the nonsense involving <laughs> hat tips to Comic-Con bonus episodes and fun other things that we've talked about, uh, feel free to go into iTunes, search around out there in Abe. Uh, give us a star rating. That'd be pretty cool. Give us a written review. That'd also be really cool. It's always very cool. Thank you very much in advance. I should check again because we got a new review recently. Did so, we? Well, know. we got one. Uh, we talked about got it one that a couple I read, weeks ago. Yeah, that I read on the show. I'm just saying I hope that opened the floodgates ah, to getting more iTunes. Yeah, yeah, no. Let's um let's move on. Let's get to let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set us home for the podcast. We better get to know everybody. Know everybody. I think that, that was, was great. Us. That was great, guys. Yeah. That was good. Good 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 team. Um, <laughs> let's see, Mark. Have I asked you the Mark? Have I asked you the Guardians question? Have you been on? Uh, no. What's the Guardians okay. question? The Guardians question is something I've been doing throughout the summer with all of our guests. Um, it is a question of which soundtrack did you prefer, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 or Volume 2? Huh. <laughs> I hmm, That's a good question. I like them both. Uh, I would say probably the first one just because it was more surprising. Like it was like something I wasn't expecting. And then in the second one, the mix of old and you know uh, classic cuts were a little bit more something I, I kind of expected to see. So I guess maybe the first one. That's okay. an interesting angle. Most okay. people have taken it for a different number of different ways, and it's been I, and again, Abe and no I, right or wrong answers. Yeah, it's splitting hairs. We both agree they're both really good soundtracks. Abe's leans on volume one. I lean on volume two. But your your interpretation's neat because you're more on the like I didn't see this coming when I saw the movie kind of thing. And I, yeah, that's a that's a good way to look. I, at I it. didn't expect yeah. to have this like mix of you know old songs and then that sort of nostalgia. So it seemed a little bit more fresh in the first one. I think the soundtrack in the second one is is on point. It's mm -hmm. it's excellent. So I mean I don't begrudge anyone who picks the second one uh, as you know more you know higher, yeah. but. I, I, yeah, I think the first one, it was a more unexpected, so that's why I would 
maybe lean towards the first film. Very cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Abe, hey, you got a question? I do have a question for you guys. Do you guys have a favorite dogfight sequence in the movie? Ooh. Um, are we counting space battles? I will count space battles, yes. Uh, okay. As long as they're um, planes and they're, and they're going against each other. Well, uh, hmm. I mean, there's okay. So, because I, I mean, I, I honestly, I lean right to Star Wars when I think of dogfights. And there's I mean, like, those there's... have some pretty good dogfights in them. Yeah, with a lot Star of destruction. Uh, well, the ones I can think of specifically. I mean, there's nothing but. I mean, the the ending of the original Star Wars is pretty fantastic as far as the kind of the raid on the Death Star. Um, I also Return of the Jedi really tries to up it by having you know a bigger Death Star. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and then there's also uh, Attack of the Clones which has uh, Jango Fett versus Obi-Wan and that whole asteroid field sequence is like the best scene in that movie. Um, so those are things offhand that I think of. I'm trying to think I of... I mean those are pretty good answers. Uh, they are but I'm trying to think of other... Um, Red Tails like... perhaps? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's uh, okay. So I'll give you a couple. I mean, sure. there's Top Gun might be some people's favorite. Yep, yep. I guess Wings. Try to think now, like um, the, um uh, 1927. You know, going, way, going way back. I mean, but th- but thinking about like how it was shot and everything. Like the Aviator gave me a lot of like you know basically gave me a history lesson and a reason to kind of explore that further. And it's like, well, Wings is like really dangerous when they mm-hmm. made that movie. Right. So. And, and impressive for that time period. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sort of piggyback on what you had said, and I'm going to go with uh, Star Wars. I, That's probably my favorite. Even though it's in space, I, I, I'm going to count it. Solid, solid answers. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to it, but Dunkirk has some really cool dogfights. I know, yeah. yeah. It, it, that's why I was like, you know, <laughs> what are, are the movies that I really enjoyed these dogfights for? Not because it was super stylized or whatever it's case, just more like, this is engaging and grossing. I like the people, or I kind of care for the people that are in these dogfights, and... Uh, you know, I want to see them do well. I mean, that'd probably be, I mean, besides Star Wars, that'd probably be my answer as far as, like, what, like, what, like um, airplane-based dogfights. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Top Gun fan, so. But, uh, but, it, but Top Gun would be something well, that a lot of your listeners might, yeah. you know, pick. It certainly so, is oh, yeah, one that I, I pick. I, 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 it's I fair like to Top mention. more than Aaron, and I definitely oh, like those sure. dogfight scenes, so. I, and again, I, I'm, I'm, more say, I'm more saying it because it's not like I'm forgetting Top Gun. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> but right. also, just another tidbit on Top Gun, just how uh, the U.S. Navy kind of gave him limited time to shoot these scenes. And so he, you know, he's basically showing you the same scene like three different times. Uh, I always like that that little trivia point about Top Gun. Yes, Tony Scott shot the I, hell out of those scenes. Yeah, so. they just, were, they were just impressed. To, the Navy was impressed. It's, Star Wars is my answer, but it, just in case there's people listening, I that might pick this. I would also mention Memphis Bell. Okay. Okay. That's, that's the other, that has, uh, that's the, uh, the, um, that has, that has some like dogfight sequences that yeah. are up there. I have a question. Okay. Where's the best place to hide a lost race of aliens? Hmm. Um, I, I will accept say... under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> under the bed. Uh, I kind of want to say in uh, a wardrobe through a secret portal, but okay, <laughs> I mean that only makes sense. But then, how did I create that secret portal, right? So, yeah, but I, I you know, something inconspicuous. Okay. 
Mark, any random thoughts on where to hide a lost trace of aliens? <laughs> uh, I, I don't have any idea. The cupboard? <laughs> Behind the salt. That's a good place to hide an Indian. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. All right, move on that out of the way. That's how you play No Everybody. <laughs> no Everybody. <laughs> yeah. You said too on fast. I know. Uh, yeah. I want to move on. we got two movies to cover. We don't have time for this. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's, do, let's do some quick out now quickies. Tim? Each quick out now. Quickies. Tim? I told you, we're moving fast. Yeah. Um, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I watched Mr. Mom on Amazon Prime. Still like it. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mom. Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. I was feeling a Michael Keaton mood after Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. I was like, I really like this movie. Especially like the movie, or I especially like the part where he's uh, living through that soap opera, and then he falls on the ground, and he, he moves himself over to fit in the, the chalk outline, the tape outline on his carpet. Also, those kids are really good actors for being that, that young. I'm very happy we had a discussion with Mr. Mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mark, what have you seen recently? So I haven't been on your show for a while. I'm going to mention The Big Sick. It's one of my favorite, I mean, one of my favorite films of the entire year, possibly my favorite. Um, I thought it was just emotionally compelling. Uh, I thought it was like from the heart. I really enjoyed the story. Uh, it, uh, I think it, 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 it's still in the top 10. Um, it's a tiny little independent picture, so it's not the kind of film that you would expect to make a lot of money, but it, it is doing well at the box office. Um, it's not an expensive movie, and uh, I really enjoy this film. Uh, the Big Sick, if you have not seen it, it is the it is my first choice of, like, it, it's my answer when people say, what should I go see? Um, Abe, I think it's time we... for a little Dad's Movie Corner. Dad's Movie Corner, all right. Mark, my dad also saw The Big Sick this weekend, and um, he really liked it as well. He thought it was really yes. good. He he was he watched both that, and then he started watching um, Master of None Season 2 <laughs> uh, to get both a slice of Pakistan and India <laughs> into one weekend. And um, he, no, he, he thought he, he really liked Big Sick quite a bit. He thought he thought it was really funny. He, he's a big fan of uh, Silicon Valley, and so he, he's really happy to see kind of Kumail being a part like this as well. But, so uh, this, yeah. is, this is how much I like the big sick. I, I'm, I was aware of Kumail. I mean, I, I, I see enough films and, and entertainment things to be aware of him, but this is something that like made me think I need to like research about this guy and see everything that he's done. So that's, that's how much this film like, you know, got me interested in him. And then, I mean, I started to research like about his relationship and his wife. And I mean, she's played by a different person in the film, but mm -hmm. it it's like, it's one of those movies that you kind of, it makes you want to know more about the people involved in the production. It was just, yeah. it was that compelling. And it was also well, Mark, really sweet you're... to see like the photos at the end of, of them, <laughs> of real life, right. Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani. By the way, I do right. want to mention that if you are interested in his story, uh, he and Pete Holmes are a very good friend, so he's the first guest on Pete Holmes's podcast, You Made It Weird. Um, I can't remember if it's the first time or the second time that he comes on that he talks about his story, and it's very sweet. It's very tender. Um, at, at points, he kind of just stops himself because he kind of chokes himself up uh, telling it to Pete Holmes. So uh, if you want to do listen to that, you know, I, I would recommend it. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Camille Nanjiani as a as a stand-up comedian. I've, actually, I've seen him a few times in L.A., um, and he's told that story Just like walking around buying a coffee? Yeah, just about, yeah, just walking around. Uh, but no, I've, I've seen him, you know, doing a show and, and actually going through that story. Um, friend of the show, Christian Spicer, he's had him on to one of his 
like standard things before and like they've talked about like the whole thing involving the coma and everything and then like yeah years later now this movie comes out it's like oh cool i get to see like this the dramatic the dramatized version of the right. story that i've heard about but it's still uh, very but, funny yeah. it's not it's like it, it's not, it's not oh, like it a tear oh, jerker sure. by any means oh, it's no it's, it's a great it's a great comedy drama in the vein of what judd apatow's kind of done <laughs> yeah um, i mean it's it's a perfect example of somebody who took what they know like something that is personal and in their life, and they presented it up on the screen and did it in such a compelling and emotional way that it's it's so sincere and so real. And I don't know, I, I was really affected by this film. I I, I, I really loved it. I, I know, you've been raving, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't. And I, I mean, I, and like I again, I was aware of this guy. I, I knew he was a comedian, and, and his stand-up com- comedy is funny. But I think what he what he does in this film, it presenting he, it's hard. You know, you can. I mean, I think everybody in the world has sort of a compelling story of like what happens in their life. But he was able to crystallize this experience that happened to him into a very compelling story and present it on the screen in such a way that I think everybody would benefit from watching it. I, I, I think it's really that it, it's, I, I mean, I hope that people will remember this film uh, throughout the course of the year, because I think it's, it's good enough that it could even award consideration in the, um, you know, the Oscars. That's how I like was, that. Yeah. That's, that's actually what I mentioned when I was chatting about it too. It's just, um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there was some support nominations for Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Those I have two. no doubt. It, I, I have no doubt and it's going to clean up at the Independent Spirit Awards. I can right. Do that right now. And 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 screenplay. Yeah, screenplay yeah. by by both Screen- Emily and Kumail. Yeah. Screenplay is the one thing that I could I could see very much happening at the Oscars. Um, at the so, Oscars, yeah. Especially, I mean, it is a very. It's you know, it has like ninety nine percent or something around to it. Like it's you know, it's, it's very, very it's well very well regarded. Yeah. yeah. And not just um, by us. So. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, <laughs> Even though we are kind of you know the only premier source. For your for your movie <laughs> knowledge, <laughs> uh, self plug. It's, well, it's a well respected film. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen um, not. To, I mean, besides stuff that I've seen in trailer form and exclusive footage or what have you, I haven't seen too much new in the way of films because I've been away all week for the most part. Besides the films that we're reviewing today, but I did get a chance to watch um, the Defenders. Um, season one episode on that's coming to Netflix soon, which is another plug for the Comic Con episode where I talk about it more. Um, but I was also able to see the Defenders is the team up of Daredevil, Jessica James, um, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And Wait, like, say that the again. Ones. The Defenders. Oh yeah, Defenders. Okay, great. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, you could hear me talk about it more on the Comic Con episode. I was also able to. I didn't talk about this on the Comic Con episode, so I'm going to talk about it now. I was able to watch the Tick pilot again. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, it came out I, like I, uh, three months ago, four out, months ago? No, it came out last year. Oh, last year. My bad. Entirely last year yeah. and was picked up by Amazon. So now the full series is coming um, this year, this August. Um, so Anna and I were able to watch the Tick uh, season premiere now, episode. Again. The yeah. Defenders, that comes out in August? Defenders also comes out in August on Netflix. Okay. The Tick comes out on Amazon. Um, this stars Peter Serafinowicz as the Tick and Griffin Newman um, as Arthur. Um, it's quite good. It's a solid pilot. I was happy to see it for a second time, but I'm mentioning the tick mainly because I didn't, again, I didn't talk about this on the Comic-Con episode because I kind of forgot, but I got to interview the entire cast of the tick. Most of the cast. I didn't Yay. actually get to interview the, the tick or Arthur, but oh. that was really fun. Yay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they got, like, the last minute they had to leave. But I talked to Jackie Earl Haley about playing, the like, the main villain, the Terror, uh, which was fun. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about this show. 
I was very happy to talk to the cast. I was very happy to have Anna with me as my camera person because <laughs> I didn't have like a full camera ready. Did you <laughs> so use like, your iPhone? Okay. Yep, we gorilla styled it with some nice. iPhones, so it was fun. But uh, no, good times for sure. That's a show I'm looking forward to. Um, so yeah, I was happy to see the pilot episode again because it's a solid pilot. I mean, Glad it got picked up it. by Amazon, so here you go. It was a solid pilot. Yeah. All right. So let's how was that on quickies? Tim. Let's move on now. Let's get to trailer talk. We talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, and what have you. Um, I will say we are about to talk about a trailer that we did talk about a bit on the uh, Comic-Con episode, but we're going to talk about it a little more here because we can give it its time and place. Uh, it is Ready Player One. Um, this is the new, the upcoming Steven Spielberg film based off the novel by Ernest Cline. Um, very popular um, sci-fi novel with a whole lot of references to a lot of things, including other Steven Spielberg films. <laughs> and now what would seem like Ernest Cline's dream is to have Steven Spielberg directing his the movie adaptation of his book. Um, the film. Who, who wouldn't like that? Exactly right. Uh, the 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 film stars Ty Sheridan, T.J. Miller, Ben Mendelsohn, Mark Rylance, Olivia Cook, and a whole bunch of other people who I just am assuming are very excited to work with Steven Spielberg on a movie right. yeah. <laughs> like this. Uh, the film involves uh, VR very heavily. Um, it's a near future. It's a, not near, but it's a it's a future that's maybe kind of dystopian, but features people going into a vr system called the oasis um in there you see a lot of ip uh, from various <laughs> things from all over the place all over the place yeah all over the place uh, combining into one kind if of if you love movie. movies you, you're gonna pick up a lot of stuff this seems like the who frame roger rabbit for sci-fi fans Very as far as so. getting a bunch of things into one thing but with all that said mark what do you think of the trailer for ready player one um well the the very fact that steven spielberg directed the film is a you know, makes me like want to see it. I I will say the uh, trailer itself, it, it's very CGI heavy, and and that's generally not something I'm interested in. I kind of like a little bit more practical type effects. Um, so I don't know if the trailer itself really got me involved, but given the fact that Steven Spielberg's directing it, it's got uh, Ty Sheridan, uh, Mark Rylance, Simon Pegg, uh, I'm. I'm I'm definitely interested. So I mean, I I'm I'm interested in seeing the film. I just don't know if the trailer really captured my interest. Abe, uh, they had me at the Amblin logo because when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, that is what the Amblin logo <laughs> looks like." I totally I haven't seen it in such a long time. I I haven't really re- uh, revisited any Spielberg movies as well. But um, I will say that I uh, as I was watching the trailer and I enjoyed it very much. Um, especially all like the references to all these characters, I kept on thinking to myself, you know, I wonder what the problem is going to be, like what what the um, you know the issue is going to be that they're going to have to solve. But as the trailer progressed, I was like, I don't really care what it is right now. I kind of just want to see more of like the DeLorean racing and them like you know doing all this cool stuff in this world. Um, so I I'm pretty sold on it, and I agree with Mark that sure there might be some. Uh, if it's heavily CG, you might not like some of it, but we'll get to Valerian later, and um, I, I definitely think that there's going to be some cool stuff. So with that being said, I like how they're using uh, Scott Summers, and I like that he's kind of coming up in this world, but I'm more excited that this is um, a Steven Spielberg movie uh, rather than, you know, I, I haven't read the source material either. I heard that it's great, but I, I'm very excited for uh, the Steven Spielberg property. You're going to sense a pattern in the things that I talk about today, but this 
trailer was awesome. I love this trailer. <laughs> this was my favorite trailer that I've seen at Comic-Con. Wow. Uh, hmm. uh, it, do, it certainly helps that Steven Spielberg's in the room introducing you to a trailer for his movie. But that said, I love this trailer. This is the kind of thing where you look at all of these superhero movies that come out and the very big CGI spectacles that happen. And Spielberg, old man Spielberg comes in and it's like, this is how you do this kind of thing. And he throws you into the CG world. And yes, it's a heavy reliance on CG. But Steven Spielberg knows how to do this kind of thing, regardless of if it's practical, if it's a real character, a practical one or not. He's the way he's using the camera to show you what action looks like in his films is so decidedly different from other things I can see. And it just looks a bit beyond seeing like Akira motorcycle and light cycles and DeLoreans all in one frame together. And the Iron Giant stepping in to be like, hey, Iron Giant's going to be in this movie, guys. <laughs> and I wasn't like, sure if that was it, Link over at his left. And I was like, is that it could, very, yeah. very well could be. <laughs> and, I mean, I saw Freddy Krueger and Duke Nukem get like vaporized at yeah. one point. It's like there's so much stuff going on. It's like this this is just invading my eyes. And I was all about what's going on here. I really love this. Tra- it's just a teaser, too. There's plenty more to come, let alone a full movie. But I'm very excited about this film. I very much want to read this book immediately. I've heard many things about it over the years. And I know it's probably going to be just my kind of thing as far as what I'll read. But regardless, I am very excited about this trailer. <laughs> I kind of expected no less. But I'm glad that here that Seems Burger was in the room. Is he looking grayer now or is he still salt and pepper? He's ditched scarf look. I know. I will say (laughs) the trailer to its credit doesn't give you a lot of information, so you sort of are kind of left in the dark as to exactly what is you know what the film is about. So I mean that and that that's a good thing. a trailer should should just sort of like tempt you with like what the story is going yeah, to be it gives gives you the very very bare minimum it gives you like they're in the future they use vr in vr you see a lot of familiar things like they, right. <laughs> so that that's yeah. like and, and there's a lot of video games apparently like it, it does make me want to read the book though like I, i'm tempted to read yeah. the story right. yeah before i see it i'm very tempted to read it mostly just to get a deeper understanding and and just really immerse myself more into the story but again it kind of just goes back to um I'm curious what the, I guess, the main issue is going to be. And quite honestly, if it's just going to be me in an hour or two hours of VR world, okay. Well, it's a good thing that Steven Spielberg knows a thing or two about making movies, guys. Because I think he I don't know. I haven't seen any of his on. movies. I heard that he's like a one and done kind of guy. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly <laughs> one and done Spielberg. When's the last time you heard of Steven Spielberg, right? Well, since we were the very few people that saw the BFG last year, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say the BFG and then Bridge of Spies before that. Right. With Academy Award winner Mark Rylance. Which was, like also, which was also fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was definitely very good. Yes. Ready Player One arrives in theaters March 30th next year. Okay. Let's All move right. on. We still have two movies to review, and we're going to do that. <laughs> in record uh, time. Yeah, that's right. First up, our main review for Dunkirk. The call went out. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. One of ours. He's on me. I'm on him. They need to send more ships. 
delivery. Now the enemy pushes closer. They've activated the civilian boats. Civilians? We need destroyers. Where are we going? Dunkirk! I'm not going back. We know they will die. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody navy. You should be at home! There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. That should have been some of the trailer for Dunkirk. Dunkirk feels like a big move for Christopher Nolan, as he's gone from expanding epics in terms of complicated science and runtimes to a stripped-down affair involving a historic event during World War II. The film presents multiple perspectives during Operation Dynamo, the Dunkirk evacuation, which saw hundreds of thousands of Englishmen attempting to escape Europe in an effort to fight another day. True to past form, Nolan plays around with the timeline by placing each of these three perspectives and different times during the evacuation. Uh, one follows a few soldiers for a week on the beach. Another follows a mariner, played by Mark Rylance, for a day as he travels to help with the evacuation. And the last viewpoint features an hour in the life of Tom Hardy as a pilot fending off Axis planes. Nolan shot much of this film with IMAX cameras and does what he can to capture the intensity of war. Abe, we've recently talked about Memento. We have. And that led to a discussion of Nolan in general. Where are you with Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker? And what do you think of Dunkirk? Well, Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, I think he's, he's always... Um... He's a very deliberate fellow, and he's very, uh, he's almost like a master craftsman to some regards, uh, and so I quite enjoy Christopher Nolan's movies, more so because I know that he cares for the movie, he's put a lot of craft into it, he's really thought things out, he's really made uh, the story as comprehensible as possible, and or as um, uh, less crazy, because I'm thinking of stuff like Interstellar, where he's you know trying to use some science behind his work uh, instead of just saying like in a black hole, you can do this. So Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, and I'm glad that he still uses film, but uh, I wouldn't so mind. I, I, it's not like I have one real huge preference over the other, but um, you know, he certainly is a scarf wearing director that knows what he wants uh, in movies and, and what he's trying to shoot. But what I thought about Dunkirk was it's a really well-made movie and um, everything that I mentioned before comes into play here because again, this is not his first film and um, I think that his use of the IMAX cameras and the use of very minimal dialogue, kind of just helping you understand what these soldiers are going through, uh, whether that's uh, running away from snipers and or being in conf- close confines with other folks, or just really the, the really big want and the need to go home. And I'm not talking about um, the lieutenants and the officers uh, who do have more of a speaking role, but I'm more talking about just the soldiers themselves. You know, you can see that they've kind of been waiting there for quite a long time. They're they're not really sure what's going to happen. They're they're not really given these clear orders of what's coming, and then all of a sudden, um, they're just super bracing themselves for bombing raids and quote unquote being picked off in the air, which is what they say in the movie. So it was very well done on that regard. And I know that this is one of his shorter movies. One of the biggest things that I had griped about earlier on when we were talking about the trailer was, oh well, it's going to be like a two and a half hour movie. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit through all that stuff. But that being said, though, this is a tighter movie. It's well, it's actually, there's actually a really neat uh, story element that happens in the movie that kind of took me a little bit to catch on to. And when I did catch on to it, I was like, oh, this is, this is, it makes my experience much more um, enriching. 
but again, the technical aspects are really, really well done in here. There's beautiful sweeping shots of the beaches. There's really beautiful sweeping shots of the ocean and the way that they that he shoots some of this dogfight stuff. And the characters, what I really liked about this movie a lot was you saw different sides of the battle. Not just, I'm not talking about like the Germans versus the Allied forces. I'm talking more about um, the British forces versus other Allied forces like the French um, or the uh, the soldiers that have been just been like completely catatonic or PTSD. And also just like a lot of grit and grime and the need for survival. So... I know that there's no real, like, one story that you're following. There's actually a lot of, like, different vignettes. But with that being said, though, it does kind of really create this picture, paint help paint this picture of this very, like, disastrous uh, mark. And I, I, we're not British, and so I know that there was probably, like, a swell of emotion when you see these uh, weekend sailors come through. And uh, I, I can certainly kind of, I guess, empathize with that a lot, so... I enjoyed this movie a lot. I think that there was uh, it was very smartly well paced and uh, technically speaking, very well done. How did you see this movie? Seventy millimeter IMAX. Okay, Mark Hoban, where do you think of Dunkirk? Okay, so I originally saw Dunkirk in thirty five millimeter on Thursday, and after I had seen it, I actually thought I'm not sure if I could even discuss the film coherently because I felt like I didn't really quite understand it. And so I actually ended up going back and seeing it again. I saw it today on 70 millimeter IMAX. So I actually have seen it both Mm -hmm. in the 35 millimeter and the 70 uh, millimeter IMAX. And the difference is immense. It definitely, if you have the opportunity, it is very, I think it's, you, you almost you're compelled to see it in the 70 millimeter IMAX because the film is, it's a visceral experience. I think the uh, way that the production is fashioned, it is a little confusing. There are three different uh, stories. Uh, There's uh, the land story, which they call the mole. There's the sea and then there's the air. And each one takes place over a a different time period. And he does set up this story with title cards. So it, it, I mean, he he gives the viewer an assist. But I think the first time I saw it, I just, I didn't understand exactly what was going on. And the second time I saw it, both coupled with the expansiveness of the, the visuals and then also the fact that I was seeing it again and I was sort of prepared for what I was about to see, I appreciated it a lot more. Um, I think the first time I was a little confused and I really couldn't quite understand exactly what was going on. But the second time, I, I really did get a feel for the sort of per, the visceral impact that uh, Christopher Nolan was going for. Um, I think uh, the... What makes the film so compelling is the way that it's uh, put together, like the production and and the the visceral impact. It's not a film so much about exposition, mm-hmm. and I and I don't think it's a film that requires you to emotionally connect with the characters because i think some of the film the point is almost this sort of sea of anonymity there's this long expanse of 
you know, uh, soldiers in gray and brown uniforms. They're all white British young men. They they even kind of have a tendency to sort of disappear into each other. Uh, in, in the first time I saw it, I actually had a somewhat hard time telling the difference between like the different characters, as particularly in the land story, because that's the one where all the the young guys are sort of trying to escape from this like pier and and get and get to safety. Uh, but when you see it again, and you and you, I mean, the aerial sequences, the ones particularly that uh, involve Tom Hardy, they are like among some of the most impressive sequences ever filmed in a war film. Mm-hmm. And and even the films that are even the uh, scenes that have to do with the land sequences uh, with the young men in the, the bow of the ship. And there's sort of a, a claustrophobic feeling and you get this like sort of scene of all these men. There's very little blood or, you know, gore in this film. It's, it's actually mostly... Uh, kind of a visceral experience with like emotion and and trying to stay alive but like there is like a scene where they're in the bow of the ship and they're eating this uh these the bread and it's got the red jam that's like the only red in the entire film and (laughs) the way that they like present this scene is so it's so cinematic i mean it's it's a cinematic experience and I really feel like if you're going to see this film, you really owe it to yourself to try to see it in IMAX or at the very least uh, 70 millimeter. I, I, the first time I saw it in 35 millimeter, it was a much different experience. And I, I don't think it really serves the film uh, in the way that, you know, Christopher Nolan meant to tell the tale. But it, it is an amazing film. I think it, it if you can sort of... And uh, Abe, you kind of went into how it's it's a little confusing in the way that it's uh, told because the narrative will go back and forth uh, in the same. There are three stories, but even within those stories, it will go back in time uh, in one story. And there's even a part where the pilot of one story intersects with the story of another one and you realize oh wait we've just gone back in time so the second time i saw it i understood all of that Mm -hmm. but the first time i was more confused so i I will just give the caveat that i i i I enjoyed the film but i think it it helped the fact that i did see it twice i'm i'm not going to applaud the fact that i had no real problem distinguishing the time periods i am going to say i love the format i love the way that nolan is making a world war ii movie and to do that he decides okay i've seen other movies like this how can i make this different and he goes he relies on basically what he's done before in films which is play around with the narrative and i found that to be such an interesting way to take a movie like this um and present it in multiple perspectives and having them kind of the way i've described it is it's like a spiral the way time works here, where mm-hmm. if you were to, to kind of draw all of these timelines, you, they would basically just kind of circle, circle, circle as a spiral next to each other and then all kind of combine at various points. And I found that to be such a, a wonderful way of tackling a story like this, where you have these different perspectives and by having these different timelines where they're able to intersect with each other, it plays around with your expectation and the tense, the, the intensity of, of what's going on here. The film plays a lot like a giant action sequence that's never ending and right it's it's all action 
basically. It is. It pretty much, I mean, there's some downtime here or there, but I mean, this is extensively a movie about people that need to get out of this place or they will die. And so in seeing that, you get to see three different groups play off of what that is like. And Nolan is great at putting you right there with them. I, for, you mentioned the kind of the, the lack of blood. This movie is rated PG-13. I could say this was a far more visceral experience for me than watching the gallons of gore that was coming out of Hacksaw Ridge. I thought this was an excellent portrayal of seeing like what war can be right. to people that are just on the ground, let alone you know, a pilot who is just doing his best to make the best choices he can in order to protect people, or someone like Rylance, who is just a guy that's like, I want to help because I can, this is part of my nation, I need to do a good job. And the way we see each of these stories evolve and with the various characters within it, I thought it was just a tremendous thing. I think this movie is fantastic, top to bottom. Uh, This is... A, a great effort from Nolan, who could have easily made this an over, you know, a, a big long war movie, which is not the. I mean, I've seen plenty of long war movies in my lifetime. There's nothing wrong with a long war movie. So, right. so some of those are some of the best movies ever made. But to see something like this, where I didn't expect it to be, you know, this tight thriller, which is really what it is. It's less. I mean, it certainly has war as a backdrop that plays, a, you know, it throughout. But like, it's really more of just this kind of ticking clock thriller, which is emphasized heavily by Hans Zimmer's score, which is a, a ticking clock come to life. Right. Right. which I found to be fantastic the way he utilizes his abilities as a you know a composer to match with what Nolan's doing I love that Nolan is challenging Hans Zimmer every time out now apparently <laughs> because he's like every time we get something new we got the we got the strong like the Joker theme in the Dark Knight and we got the you know the Bois from Inception which we make fun of now but at the time it was certainly effective for what that movie was trying to do and now we get like what's literally sounds like a ticking clock and strings and they're combining to make this wonderful thing to match up to the intensity of seeing these characters go through these different time periods and like try to just survive, which is what they're doing. Yeah. Perform- the performances we're seeing in this movie, I, the, the, uh, you, you've, Mark, you've talked about how the characters, you know, you're not really following specific people in terms of backstory and what have you. But Mark you don't Rylance. Mark yeah. Rylance is terrific. He has moments right, where right. He, exchanges, he exchanges just glances at people, and it says everything you need to know about the character. Same with Tom Hardy, who has a mask over his face for those in the movie, but he's furling <laughs> his eyebrows like a madman in order to give you exactly what you need out of that character. But And, and um, how like perverse is it of Christopher Nolan to take this handsome actor and cover him up for the entire <laughs> film? I mean, he, at the very end, he like takes his mask. I think he has his mask off for a second before he he goes he takes off. But for most of the film, he has a mask on. You don't even yeah. see him. Well, I mean, like, like the, I, yeah, I like, well, I like the I like the brilliance of having you know Mark Rylance and him and Kenneth Branagh and James Darcy, like and Killian Murphy in these kind of minimalized roles where you get what right. they're doing, but they're not really. A, it's not really what it's about. It's like okay, it's nice to have these familiar faces here, but I don't like. It's ha- it's the same as having certain big actors in smaller roles where you right. just you don't need to write a whole paragraph to describe what this character is. You just have an actor that gives you a sense of who they are because you know this actor. I get I, Kenneth Branagh because he looks like Kenneth Branagh. I know what he's doing. He, I don't he's doing Kenneth Branagh things. <laughs> yeah. And I, w- I want to interject just one thing that you mentioned that I liked is that you mentioned Hacksaw Ridge, which is a film I enjoyed. But what is different about this film is it is it does not rely on the cliches of a war movie and mm-hmm. hacksaw ridge is sort of like you know you get the viscera the blood and that's sort of what you expect and this movie sidesteps all of those uh, cliches um in in many ways not not just in like the plaque that there's little blood but you know it's how many times have you seen a war movie where soldiers uh start 
chatting about the the girl that they have back home or you know the that how they're disillusioned by the the horrors of war there's none of that here i mean it's all like it's it's action and it's it's sort of like you you can infer all of these things from what you see and i do really appreciate the fact that mark or uh, that christopher nolan does give you a an experience that you're not used to yeah. and that that what that's kind of what makes this film apart from like a lot of other war movies that you've seen before yeah and to me you know you yeah. mentioned that there's not a whole lot of blend there and i i never really expected it to be a kind of war movie like that because um it just didn't feel that way from the beginning like if he wanted to do that he he certainly could have right and it could have just been this uh this quote-unquote epic war movie but the first person that you meet is uh, somebody who I didn't even know the name of until I looked it up on IMDb. Like not not the actor's name, but the character's name. I don't even know this character's name, and uh, it's. Abe, I've, I've been I've been joking I've been joking for weeks about how I don't know who Harry Styles is. I still don't know who Harry Styles is after watching right. this movie. <laughs> you you and I both joked about it, and I you know he he kind of plays a, a thing. But with that being said, that's kind of my point about the characters. While we see the big names of like Mark Rylance, Tom Hardy. Uh, James Darcy, uh, Kenneth Branagh, etc. I mean, we really follow a soldier, a nameless soldier, and another nameless soldier through this, and we kind of get their experience of war is bad and war is terrible, and like all these other things that all these war movies have given. But it's also that there's also this like really like an, I think Mark, you said this anonymous factor to it because right. um, you you're after they are off this beach. There's this really strange sequence of events that happens of them going on a train to go back to like the the um, the uh, countryside of England, and then uh, I, what I really love is that uh, the character's name is or the actor is is Finn Whitehead, I guess, um, and right. he just falls asleep. Like we we would think that like oh there's like this huge exposition that's going to happen of like I can't believe that you know war is this this and this. It's like no man, I'm just really fucking tired, <laughs> and I I'm glad that I'm back. And then Harry Styles. Is like I can't believe that they didn't even say thank you or he didn't look me in the eye. It's like, no man, but you're and, just and an anonymous soldier in this giant battle. Yeah, I think Christopher Nolan is making a point about war is not about an individual and like here I am a hero. It's a mass of people. They're yeah. all involved in the same effort. So Harry Styles, Finn Whitehead, there's there's a bunch of you know kind of I mean, and they all look like you know white young. British actors, you know, they're they're all kind of like high cheekbones, attractive, but they're they all kind of blend together, and it and I think that's sort of his point is that this is you know this is war. It's not about the individual. It's about a mass of people, right. and that's what this event was. It was a huge group of assemblage of people that you know survived, and that's that's sort of what made it special. And I, I think. It's it's kind of a um, it it is not like what you would expect to see because you're so you're so used to seeing like oh here's a story about this one guy and this mm-hmm. is his his uh, character arc and it's not really about that. Right. Um, it's but the I, the 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 use of um, just the lack of information beyond like an opening you know an opening set of you know phrases that kind of get set you up and like basically the only exposition in the movie is just pamphlets that are being littered by the Axis soldiers about what's going on at Dunkirk like yeah, and, really and Kenneth Branagh scenes like he's, he's kind of yeah, the most you're gonna get which is not he's even like a, a lot of time in the movie there's he's like, like yeah he's like, a, he's like very minimal 
Like yeah. every type cat at the product comes out, he's like a reset button. It's like, okay, here's the here we are. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. But, uh, um, but like the yeah, the, 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 but like, way it, the way the, the way the you know you you have no information to really go off beyond just like an expectation like okay I know what Dunkirk is because I've heard of that before I've seen trailers and now I'm in the movie and okay the movie sets me up with like a couple things and like some title things to tell me okay ocean sea uh, air like you know all that good let's go and I just I love that it's a it's still a puzzle like the way it I've, I've talked about this time structure but I re- guys I really like the time you do have to kind of put did, it to... I liked it you like, do have to kind of put it together yes. though I don't think it's yeah. immediately obvious oh, yeah it's and, not immediately and... obvious it was just more like there was like a there was a point where it... I was like didn't this guy already leave the shore and I was like oh wait, right no that's neat and so uh, again it actually well, works there, out in like, particular Aaron, a really good the, example the, of like the spirals the, the Tom Hardy the Tom Hardy storyline with the airline pilot because that only takes place over an hour and then the other I don't know what the I'm sorry I don't know the actor's name but the other guy that was also in in the plane with Tom Hardy in, mm-hmm. in a separate plane yeah, the, yeah the he he he's like he he crashes into the water and then he intersects with another storyline and that was a part where i was like wait what's going on here because i thought this has already happened and you realize oh no we've gone back in time and now these people are rescuing him from the water right that was a little bit of a confusing thing the first time i saw it i really didn't get it but the second time i did and then that kind of helped. So I, I do feel like, I mean, the fact that I, I had to watch it twice, maybe a little bit of a, of a qualification, but the second time I totally got it. And then I, I sort of, I was on board. With I mean, what, Mark, what, there, there are like professional film critics that are like writing terrible reviews because they don't seem to get it, which humors me to no extent. Um, but uh, I mean, audiences certainly responded as an A minus cinema score. Like it's, it's done yeah, well. Yeah. It's, it's treating the, and well, I think it helps. Okay. It helps that it's, so, it helps that it's, it's not punishingly long. I think that's well, part of it. Well, and then here's the thing too. Like, okay, so I, I and initially the first time I saw the film, I was a little bit perturbed by the fact that some of the accents, the just the English accents, are a little hard to understand. But it's not really a movie about dialogue. I no, mean, yeah, it, it's, it's not. not. So, yeah. and, and I mean, as long as you can understand what's happening on screen, what they're saying is kind of irrelevant. And you you do have there's like there's this there, I mean there's some cinematic scenes in this movie that are among the greatest scenes ever in a war movie. There's a part where like all the guys are like on what they call the mole the the little pier that they're waiting to be rescued, yeah. and they've got their hats and like there's a plane flying overhead and one guy looks up, then they all look up yeah. and then it's just there's something about the way that Christopher Nolan has shot the scene that you just it gets your emotion and you feel like. Oh my God! This is like what war is like. This is this is the experience of war. So he he brings that like experience to you, and he does it in a way unlike maybe I don't know any film. Yeah. Regardless so, of regardless of whatever kind of experience war is actually like, what I like in this specific in this movie specifically is that it, this is pure cinema. I'm watching. This is just this is watching. Yeah. What you mentioned the lack of the lack of dialogue. There's this. It almost plays like a silent film. Aside from you know obviously the score and the sound design. Sound design's tremendous sound design by the way. Good. But the the um. The, the, there are shots in this movie. They're just the filmmaking is like this is amazing. I mean, this is this is blockbuster filmmaking at its finest, and it almost feels like an indie film given the way it's like structured and what have you. But yeah. there's so much like going on as far as recreating this whole scenes where that, I imagine there's tons of CGI that we're not seeing, which is how convincing the right, CGI right. is. You can't tell, but it's like it's there's so many like 
spectacular shots of like the of, of Tom Hardy in the plane, or even just the the, the beaches that are so long and sprawling, yeah. or shots and, towards the e- shots towards the end yeah. that are just breathtaking. As far as yeah, I mean, there's actually just up. a shot of Tom Hardy kind of coasting at one scene, and I was like, this is a beautiful shot. Well, when he he runs out of gas, yeah, when he yeah. runs out of fuel, and it just stays on his plane for like ten seconds, maybe. It's like or, this is beautiful. Uh, how about that scene with with all the young men in the bow of the ship? And somebody starts shooting in the side of the. Of I mean, the that, that's where the, the sound ship. design really kicked in. I was like, I jumped like, out of my seat. I was like, Whoa. that's so. That is so intense. And you yeah. know, you you think like, what do you do in that moment? Like, yeah. you don't, you know, but, you you don't have a gun, and you you're just like a sitting duck. Yeah, I mean, like the takeaway that I get from it too is just more. Again, it's it actually sure the conflict of good versus evil, but it's also the conflict within ourselves as individuals who want to survive right so it, it became increasingly apparent that you know these people especially the folks who some of the french soldiers who might have dressed up as british soldiers to try and get onto the the medic ships and whatever else but later in that scene with the bow and, and just the confrontation that ensues and just thinking to yourself i can't believe that even though we're all on the same side here that there's conflict like this and again it's all just from the need of survival i want to get off this beach i want to get off this uh, I, I really want to just get back to home territory so that I can get out of this terrible war. And that's really what I, I really appreciate about the silence, or not the silences, but the lack of dialogue and whatever else. It's just me trying to understand that, yes, there are forces of quote-unquote good and evil out there, but also there's a, just this, sometimes the, the biggest uh, villain is the person next door, is your neighbor, or is could be yourself. You know, you might have done some terrible things, which is the Killian Murphy thing. Um, you know, it's like you've probably done some terrible things in your in your short time here in this battle, and now you're you're never going to be the same. And that's why Mark Rylance, when he gives that silent nod to his son, is so powerful. There's a lot. I mean, you mentioned good or evil, what have you? And there's something I really admire is that it's all focused on this. There's no cutaways to Germany yeah. or to Hitler in her office, oh, oh. like you know, doing certain things. Like it's it's all entirely focused on these people, and there's no politics involved. There's very little going on as far as what the you know, the thoughts on this war is it helps that it's world war ii and it's pretty cut and dry but i i love that it's very it's very minimal it's a very minimalist film what are you gonna say Mike? i mean well just how like innovative is it that you never see the enemy mm-hmm. the only yeah. t- the only time that you really i mean you see the see them as planes overhead right but mm-hmm. you never see the face of the enemy it's it's always this sort of like distant and that's that's different that is not that is it would be a cliche to show the enemy or to show swatsikas or things like that you you don't see any of that so i i think that's kind of i give christopher nolan credit for trying something different and presenting war maybe as it was if you were living it you know if you were actually right. involved in the you know that's that's probably i mean i i got a feel for like this is actually how it would be if you were actually involved in the skirmish yeah and mark you know i really like your point about the not uh, the non anonymity of the of war meaning like you are just another face in the crowd kind of thing um and that's mostly because we've seen other war movies you know even if you take saving private ryan which is a really good movie it's three hours long but that kind of follows along a special team so you can kind of get the rep- uh, repertoire and rapport with those folks it's plot driven yeah it's I mean, plot driven yeah. whereas this one is just like if this was this is like literally the 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 you know the the normandy invasion thing less violent but also just like super more compact 
you don't know what's going on. You don't know who any of these people are. And you just kind of see that it's like, yeah, people are going to break down. They're going to cry. And some people are going to lose limbs. It's it's pretty awful. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, this is the reality of war. It's never it's never about, like, you know, the guys from uh, Black Hawk Down or whatever the case, where it's like all of a sudden trumpet music plays. And it's like, you know what? We're the fucking best, you know, and we're going to go out there and kick some ass. It's like, dude. Uh, there's a lot of people here who are like probably barely old enough to to go into a pub and drink that have seen uh, horrific things and just want to get the hell out of there. I'll be very curious to hear more from what the, you know, kind of English audience and the UK audience feel about about a film like this, because obviously it is portraying an event that's much more significant to England Mm -hmm. and the UK as opposed to, you know, America, even though there's various things that, you know, connected whatnot and make it resonate in various ways but i do like that the film you know we're watching you know watching dunkirk and knowing the story of dunkirk this is it's a defeat essentially i mean it is you know the well they mentioned in the movie too let me finish my point not a defeat it's a retreat it's a retreat but i mean it's a defeat as far as things escalated in a way where you're the allied forces just basically couldn't handle it and you're and the accident Hitler right. backed them up into a corner and for whatever reason hitler didn't just send the rest of the tanks and slaughter everybody and so it gave us a, it gave the allies a chance to get out of there and yeah. fight another day and the movie that you know by the end of this movie where you're, you're basically you're seeing you know a sense of of hope at the time of desperation and all these right. ideas coming out and it works really well it feels very optimistic despite the you know, the, the kind of idea that you're getting of people that are trying to get the hell out of there because they're just scared for their lives. You get the sense of, like, of, of um, for lack of a better word, I can't think of it, kind of togetherness or what have you because you yeah. have the kind of uniting of forces together to be like, hey, well, we got to get our guys out of there. We need to do yeah. something about this and let's help. And it just, and, it, it plays like so the, well. I like the perspective because, like, for Americans, you know, World War II kind of begins with Pearl Harbor. And this is a aspect to world war ii that i i would say most i wasn't but i would say most americans are not familiar with but a an english person is you know this is a major event it, i like that perspective that's sort of a, a different side of the war and 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 sort of a an aspect to the you know and it is it is uplifting it, it's interesting that it's innovative to think that you know a retreat would be an uplifting event but the this the you know the preservation of life was something to celebrate, and that's what this film is about. So what I really like about it, too, and I agree with you guys that there's like this come-togetherness toward the end, but what I like about it is, again, the build-up to that is uncertain. And there's there's points where uh, you hear the, the officer saying, look, man, we only want to get our soldiers out of here. We don't care about the French soldiers. And there's other points where they're saying, by the way, uh, the prime minister doesn't care about getting 100,000 soldiers back. He just wants 30,000 back or 40,000 just to show that we came back. And that's that's where it's like, wow, I, I guess that there is some sort of like, you know, calculated callousness and calculated optics that have to go into this. But yeah, as it goes on, it does become this this, you know, uplifting movie because, yeah, these soldiers or these uh, weekend sailors come out to go help their countrymen after a call goes out. Right. But that's where I was. That, that's where it really intrigued me of, hmm, that is an interesting aspect of war films that you don't really see of just like the me, 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 me kind of perspective, which they do, which he does address in this movie, which I, I'm, I'm glad that the, he does. I want to I want to point out that I mentioned the film Their Finest a few weeks ago, which came out on Blu-ray. What was that? The, um, which one was that? I'm about to explain exactly why I'm mentioning the film. Their Finest is a perfect film to watch after Dunkirk because it goes over filmmakers that are making movies that are basically propaganda films expressing why the Dun- the evacuation of Dunkirk was a huge event and that we should fight mm-hmm. all we can and fight against the Axis powers. Um, 
very fine film. A good, a good kind of uh, period drama mixed with some romantic comedy aspect. Yeah. Um, well, I was just gonna say, I the thing about this film, it doesn't feel like propaganda. This film doesn't feel like propaganda. Yes, it, no, it feel, yeah. no, yeah. It, it, it's sort of like because you don't see swatskas, you don't see Germans, you don't see the face of the enemy. You just see the the English and and French trying to survive. It it's that sort of. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 definitely it's different. It's a different perspective of of presenting a war film, and I think that's probably Dunkirk's best, like its its biggest uh, positive is that it, it is not a it's not cliche at all. The last thing I want to mention is the the cinematography by Hoyte van Hoytema, who's shot Interstellar, you know, and let the right one in. It's tremendous in this movie. Like, uh, you know, Fincher, may, uh, Fincher, Nolan may not be working with Wally Pfister anymore, but um, he, he has a new cinematographer yeah. who's doing proper justice to Nolan's desire to film with IMAX cameras. I did see this film in 70 millimeter IMAX, by the way. Um, but and utilizing of, of that. Of course, to you its, did. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, but utilizing it to its greatest extent, um, it's all here, and it's just it's amazing to watch those dogfight sequence. But it's also amazing to see how he's not just using it for the action, but using it for the dramatic, like you know, character on character scenes. There's there's just these giant shots of Mark Rylance and Killian Murphy talking to each other that I do think are enhanced by having this supreme format here in front of you, where you're seeing so much because of how little they're saying to each other, yet you know, dramatically getting across to one another. Right. I think it really benefits the film as a whole and in, in not just having, you know, action scenes on a large scale, but having the entire film on such a large scale. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is that, um, I like the movie line. I like the particular aspects a lot too, but, um, my buddy who watched it with me, he's kind of like a historian buff. And he's like, by the way, they kind of just didn't show you how much they left behind at Dunkirk. Cause he showed me photos. Like they left all these massive Jeeps and there was, like, way more crowding on the beaches. Like, yeah, I kind of wish that they had, not me, he was saying that he kind of wished that they had shown more uh, how, how tight it was on the beach, how kind of more suffocating it was, and how much um, they, they left behind. So pretty pretty amazing to see the, the real-life photos of uh, the folks waiting there and then also I, the aftermath. I, that that may be. I, I did get a feel for the claustrophobic feeling, though. There are some scenes of the soldiers on on this pier – Mm-hmm. which they call the mole and the planes are flying overhead and they really have nothing to do but sit there and right. just wait and there's bombs going off and i felt the intensity of that situation i mean you basically like okay i might die in the next few minutes in, yeah. in the next few seconds basically and and you see basically people uh, essentially dying i mean it's kind of like an explosion and then they just sort of fall off into the water. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then the, the, the character that we follow, they make it out in that these are early scenes. So I'm not like revealing anything, but like they, they make it out alive through those scenes. And you you feel like, oh, my gosh, this is like what war would be. I mean, you're basically like, a, you know, a prisoner of your your physical circumstance. And sometimes you have no other recourse but just to wait and hope, you know, to God they don't get sh- you know, uh, Christopher Nolan presented that feeling better than probably any film I've ever seen about war. So, yeah. so we all really like Dunkirk. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> uh, we have to move on because we have another film to talk. But I, th- I probably say we we'd all say you should see this on the biggest screen possible because well, when the sense. director uses IMAX cameras and films in seventy millimeter, you should probably try try and go with his choice. 
I mean, obviously, not uh, everybody. The only, can see the only it thing one I'll day. mention, yeah, the only thing I'll mention is I did see it in both. I saw, saw it in thirty-five millimeter, and then I saw it in seventy, mil, 70 millimeter, and the IMAX seventy millimeter is so much better than the thirty-five millimeter. It it does make the thirty-five millimeter seem like a lesser film. So I really, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you really if you and not everybody has the opportunity to see it on an IMAX screen but if you do if even if you have to travel like you know 30 miles to see it that way it does make a difference yeah the thing i hate about this movie is the fact that it's going to be seen on iPads and iPhones one day that's that's the worst thing about well, Dunkirk it, for it, me it, can, it cannot be seen on an i an iPhone is you you have not seen if you say you saw this film on an iPhone or an iPad you have not seen it there you go all right, let's move on, guys. Let's get to our review for Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Welcome to Alpha. The City of a Thousand Planets. Where for hundreds of years, every species has shared their knowledge and their intelligence with each other. It's paradise. Amazing. After centuries of peace and prosperity, an unknown force wants to destroy all we have created. Agents Valerian and Laureline, you have less than 10 hours to find the threat and eliminate it. Let's get to work. That should have been some of the trailer for Valerian. 20 years ago, Luc Besson gave audiences The Fifth Element, an ambitious sci-fi action comedy with Bruce Willis. It became a cult classic for various reasons, but many were not aware of its influence. That would be the French comic series Valerian and Laureline by Pierre Christian and Jean-Claude Mazers. Mazers actually helped with the production design on The Fifth Element, but now Besson has brought the original comic to life. It's an adventure film with a Nick and Nora-type couple at the center, played by Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne. They begin the film by retrieving a mysterious item only to realize that it's a greater part of a mystery that they spend one long day trying to solve. This involves traveling to Alpha, the city of a thousand planets, which is full of a variety of different alien races and plenty of adventure for Valerian and Laureline to embark upon. Mark Hoban, you are a fan of the fifth element, correct? Yes, I am. What did you think of Valerian, a film that shares more than a number of things, I'd say, with the fifth element, but is now its own thing in entirety? Right, so both of them were directed by Luc Besson, and they're both uh, films that uh, involve a sci-fi uh, theme. And anybody, I'm not famous, but if people know me, they would know that I love The Fifth Element. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And so I was primed to enjoy this film, and sure enough, I did enjoy it. I, I thought Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets was a really enjoyable film. Not probably on the level of The Fifth Element, but as a creative work that Luc Besson is presenting, I was on board. I, I thought it was fun. It's definitely a silly kind of popcorn movie, and I don't think it holds up to deep, you know, uh, you know, picking it apart and 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 really emphasizing like the the story but i i think what i really enjoyed about the film was the creative uh silliness of it all 
Generally, I'm not a fan of CGI, and I often feel like movies that rely on CGI too much, I, I, I'm generally not a fan of. This This film definitely relies on CGI a lot, and it, it's there's a lot of characters that are also created with CGI. But I actually really enjoyed all of those characters. There's a lot of different aliens. It's it's a we we the very beginning of the film starts out with and we we can talk about this, but the it starts out with uh, uh, David Bowie's space oddity, and it shows various uh, creatures uh, being introduced to other uh, people. And there's such a creative vision that Luc Besson has with this film. But even as it carries out through the rest of the film, there's a lot of creatures. It, that's a big part of the film, is, is sort of how like the different creatures interact with the two main principals, Dane DeHaan and uh, Cara Delevingne. And I, I think I really enjoyed what he was presenting um it, it's it's definitely silly and it's not something that like holds up to like deep philosophical thought i mean it's it's kind of a, a a frivolous film but i i did enjoy it and i i thought you know for a fun popcorn film it was it was it's well worth uh it, you know the 2 hours that you watch you know you watch it abe what do you think of valerian i enjoyed the hell out of this movie i really okay. liked it a lot there's and, so many sighs of relief coming out of you right now before both of you. So. Come on, Aaron. You know me and Luke Besson. I love, I I, no I love Lucy. This movie is weird. Okay, keep going. No. But that being said, though, what I love about this movie is that it's a great action-adventure movie. It's really fun. It's really, like, it's not perfect. Of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that, too. But what I liked about it is that things keep moving, and you keep on seeing new things, things evolving in the in the world. I loved when they go to like this, like uh, I guess what you would call like a, a desert bazaar, where you have to use VR to go see all these shops. That was amazing. That was really cool. And they don't—they don't even play it in one uh, aspect. They play it in two aspects of uh, Agent Valerian being in one of them, and then uh, what's her face, Caradelli being being in the other uh, reality. Yeah, yeah Laura being in the other. Reality. It's fantastic that way. There are so many creatures as the comics kind of uh, show you. There's so many creatures to uh, to go and meet and to uh, explore, and so when they get to what their uh, mission is and how it, it involves other creatures and aliens, I was just really enthralled. I was just thinking to myself, this is a really cool thing to see on the screen to have with a group of audience members that enjoy it as well. They were laughing along with some of the jokes and some of the, the side eye that Kara was giving to Dane DeHaan. And then when you when you actually get to um, you know. The the drawback of it is that, sure, some of these uh, lines are kind of dumb and throwaway, and some of the, the uh, acting is maybe a little bit vapid, but I really didn't care. I, I was actually really engrossed with the visual aspects of the movie and also just what I was going to see next. When when there's a part where this person, when Agent Valerian goes to like Paradise Alley or whatever the case, and uh, you see cameos from, from uh, Rihanna, who's on the poster... Uh, and some other actors, I was thinking to myself, this is fantastic. This is so creative. This is so well done. The way that they transition from shot to shot to shot. And also the CG is really well done. It's just, it's so bonkers and just silly and I not love that. serious. Yeah. yeah. Like as, as, I just as wanna, ridiculous I went, as it was, thing I... it was just really, um, it was just a, a really fun experience. And that's, that's what I chalk it up to. One thing I have to mention too is, so Dane DeHaan uh, plays Valerian. He's the main character. 
I feel like he's essentially doing an imitation of Keanu Reeves and like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He is I, I it's either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. I loved it. Like I, I for whatever reason, I just thought his surfer dude kind of, you know, performance. I got it. And Cara Delevingne is also like this sort of snotty kind of, I don't know. Brook Shields and the Blue Lagoon. I mean, it was just, it, it, you, I can get it. If someone tells me, no, I, I didn't, I wasn't feeling it. I can understand it, but I was feeling it. I, I, I got it, and I, I, was, I, was, I was on board. This movie is awesome. I am a fan of Valerian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was super happy to just enjoy this movie so much through the halfway through this movie. I just kept thinking, I want to see more of this movie as in, I need more entries in this series because this one will end soon. And I want to have another one of these. I am <laughs> so happy that Luke Besson has like fulfilled his dream of bringing his favorite comic book to life. And he did so spectacularly. I think the, the way he's designed this world here is so fascinating to me. It's there's so much intrigue going on. There's so much creativity. And I, the the kind of attitude through this is so optimistic and fun like the yeah. the the plot of this movie which is like a neat detective story essentially like it's, but it's very mystery simple. going on it's very simple but like even the kind of the villains of this movie are not all that villainous it's more of like greater good type situations of why they're doing the things they're doing which is me saying this movie's so positive which is why I think the opening of this movie is not only like one of the best openings of the year, along with like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, but just like one of just the great openings of sci-fi films in terms of like what it's trying to establish that, in terms of that's tone a good call out like, to Guardians because there there is sort of there is a similarity between Guardians and this. I, I for would sure, say. and I I love that that carried out all the way through. There's you know there's some drama that happens, but the kind of the nature of this galaxy is that it's utopian the city of a thousand planets like everyone gets along like everyone's in this world and it's all about this cooperation everyone has where we can accept these different wildly different alien creatures that exist between ones that live underwater ones that are you know don't have eyes or just have like tentacles or what have like there's a variety of different <laughs> things right. that are here and they all look great this gave me like avatar feels as far as like what a cg movie yes. is capable of. like I, it's, I, it's like it's, i agree I saw, it, it, it i just love just to confirm what you're saying, I, I got Avatar feelings as well. Like I, I saw Mark. I assume you probably didn't see this in 3D, or did you? I did see it in 3D. Oh, oh. and did, did you enjoy because, the 3D? So, so 3D was like the time that would work work out for me. So I ended up seeing it in 3D. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it in 3D. I don't know if it's necessary to enjoy the yeah, film, I, but but I, I, was... I, I like I like. There were a couple scenes where I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm seeing this in 3D because this scene looks really good. I, I wouldn't say it's the cinematic game changer that Avatar became, but I certainly think that Luke Besson knows exactly what he's doing. And he talked to Cameron about this film too, so I, he he certainly I, got I some advice from the be, from the master. Yeah. Dunkirk, you need to see it in IMAX, but this I don't think you need to see it in three D. Wait, Aaron, did you watch this in three D? Yes, I did, and I don't okay. think it's a requirement, but I certainly was very happy with the results yeah, because yeah. as, 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 as I was saying and making my Avatar comparison, I do think it has that level of like involvement where you're brought into this world and having that extra dimension, even if you're not, even if you're you know watching this in two D. There's so much excitement that I got from just being introduced to a place where it's not about like how dark and gritty and dystopian you can make it; it's yeah. about how wildly fun and colorful and inviting it is to be a part of this giant community that all live together. And that's just the 
Alpha. There's all these other planets. I mean, other we planets. The, yeah. the Abe, you, said, you mentioned the one where you have to like put on goggles and suddenly you're in a whole new world. That was an which... amazing like scope out of how he was going to do that. The, it's not even one scene. Mm-hmm. It's like a very prolonged like 10 minutes. It's a sequence. long like opening action sequence. Yeah, it's and it, really it's well so done. amazing the way that you know you would think about this and then storyboard it and then just seeing it in, in final production, I was like, he must be really pleased with himself. I, I would assume so because it's it's a tremendous work of art to, to like yeah. see this kind of the, just the way action stacks upon itself. And you, and Mark, now you've mentioned the acting. You mentioned uh, Dane DeHaan in particular. I completely agree with you. I am on board with DeHaan. I like him in general. I liked him in these other movies I've seen him in. And here he's doing, like you said, a very specific type of performance that I know will rub people the wrong way. I know right. people will be convinced that like he has no chemistry with Cara Delevingne and that he's just doing some weird thing and that the lines don't work with him. I am all on board with Dane DeHaan here. I think he's a really solid lead in this film. And, and I'd say the same about Cara Delevingne. I have no yeah. real reference of her besides what, Paper I've, Towns and Paper that Towns Terrible and, Suicide, and Squad. Suicide Squad. So it's like... So I am like, a, yeah. I, I am 100% in agreement with you. I, uh, Cara Delevingne, I've never really been a big fan. She was in that... Uh, what's the... Um, the that... Uh, superhero movie uh, suicide squad she She was in that and 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 she was just a non-entity i I didn't even notice her i mean she was the main villain and she was like a nothing but in this i actually got vibes and i know there's a reason for this but i got vibes of harrison ford and princess leia like i got that sort of Hmm. you know snotty like we don't like each other but we really do and i kind of liked it i liked their like their chemistry yeah. So and, and, in terms know, of the character progression, I yeah. actually really like the character progression a lot because you kind of meet Valerian and he's he's everything that you would think that this type of movie would be. Like, I scored a perfect on my exams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm also really brave. But later, there's actually a term where he's like, I follow by the book. I'm a soldier. And I was like, whoa, this is actually really, it's really neat to see that they they actually went through with some character arcs here for both of them. And, you know, she actually gives an answer to this, like, funny rhetorical question that he asks early on. And she's like, this is the reason why I don't want to do it, because you don't you don't see things beyond, like, black and white. It's just like, wow, I'm glad that they actually went through and gave me some more understanding of how these characters are. Again, I will it, say that... It, uh-huh. It does a fine job of balancing them too. I mean, there's there's segments where both where one character is not around because they basically need to res- be rescued by the other, yeah. and it does a good job of handling that for both. It's not just like it's not just like a typical like damsel in distress. It's like Valerian no. disappears for a while too. Yeah. You have to let you have to let her find so find him. Like there are moments where she is she's kind of is a damsel in distress, but I I never felt she always seemed like a strong character. I, I never felt like she she was weak in any in any i i I always like liked her as a person and i always liked him as a person i i I like their chemistry and i don't know it's it is definitely a thing that it's sort of a felt thing that you may not be able to like explain but i i i I enjoyed it i I like their chemistry in this to me those characters are very much like a luke Besson thing where they're, they're very much like you know they're very like European in in taste and flavor. Well, and, so Valerian, and, uh-huh. the Valerian, the comic book predates Star Wars, yeah. and there are yes. some people, some people who even say that Valerian, like Star Wars, kind of looked based up to Valerian, Valerian yes. comic book in order to create its characters, and I I sort of see that in in this, you know, and and but and they they presented it in a enjoyable the uh, in an enjoyable way, right? Yeah, I mean, and, like again, that. that pre- 
that creature cantina scene in Star Wars. That's Valerian, like for two <laughs> hours. It's it's like just nonstop creatures. If they there's had more creature... fun in that creature cantina scene in Star Wars, that's Valerian for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> there's a creature. I don't even know what it's called, but it was like presenting different outfits to care of. Cara Delevingne to wear yeah and she's like I'm not you know interested in trying on different outfits I like that character like I was enjoy yeah. I was enjoying like the were, creature yeah. and the way that it was acting or like the as three I, Howard the Ducks I mean those were those are fantastic yeah. too. <laughs> as I've said at halfway through this movie I'm like I need more of this movie like we're like and I get yeah. I get that yes we talked about the box office but I know the Bassans are I mean for one thing well, no, it's not great that it only made seventeen million here. Again, I fully expect it to kind of make its money I back. I hope that it does. There's, yeah, but there's there's, there's a there's a there's a lot. I mean, you saw this in the open. Well, Mark and I saw this in the opening. There's a long list of producers involved in this in, in different companies, yeah. uh, and it's because it's basically an independent film that happened to get distributed by yeah. STX, which is you know not a big, not a big company. It's not huge, but they're they're on the it's, rise. It, but I mean, it's kind of a, a shared effort between a variety of international studios that all kind of put the budget or put the money together so they can make this. And so I'm, I hope that yeah, internationally it does do really well because that means Luke Besson can do more of this and bring us more of this world. But yeah, that with the film I got, this is great. Like it's, it's there's yeah. so much here that I just re- I had so much fun with. Uh, Alexander Alexandre Desplat's score is fantastic. I was going to bring too. that up too. His I, score I, I love is that all it, throughout, by the way, it, and it, it's it, fantastic. It, yeah. It brings it brings this mix of kind of light and bouncy with like epic at moments, and I was yeah. just so thrilled by like what he was able to do here, uh, for especially for Basan, who like he's had a like what um, Eric Serra did a lot of his films in the '90s, and I really I always liked his kind of it, it felt very of their time, but I certainly like what he was doing with his scores, and I was like, well, what's Alexander Desplat going to bring to this? And he brought something that works great. Like this movie sounds really great. Yeah, and so I I do want to touch upon like you know how much world building happens here. I just I, to give the listeners an example. You have space, you have interstellar flight, and then you go to Alpha, but you don't only you don't not only just go to like Alpha and see the four uh, folks that are working in different corners of the world. You actually go underneath the city into like some weird like uh, deep sea, and I was like, "How does this even work?" But I was like, "This is amazing to see like these giant, I guess you call them like brontosaurs, uh, just to like see them like outside the outskirts of of uh, Alpha and in." Within Alpha, I don't know. Again, I don't know how it works, but it looked cool. It was a great concept. They did it for a good cause, and again, a lot of jokes, a lot of laughter. But visually, it's stunning, and it, the the world building is pretty fantastic. It's it's a uh, so something else I really like about this to piggyback off that. As far as like just seeing a variety of different things, there's a feel to this movie that feels it feels it feels very much like a Besson film for one thing. Like this feels like a Luke Besson movie, yeah. and, but it has this kind of what I think separates it from other kind of sci-fi spectacles, it has a very, like, there's a European flavor to it. I don't That's know if you, I, I, it's hard, it's hard to kind of describe exactly what that is, but there's definitely like a, a unique feel that Besson brings to this film. Another kind of like French, like a, something like a Jeanette with like Amelie in the city mm-hmm. of a thousand children, like the city of lost children. Like city there's, children. The, yeah. the, there's, the there's like a, there's European mm-hmm. feel is in the casting. Like you, yeah, you see that this certainly sort helps. of like, you, you see this sort of multi, you know, ethnicity and all the like characters that are like and they're side characters but it's 
and you don't even know some of them you don't even know your their names but mm-hmm. it's 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 sort of a it's a feeling that you get with the fifth element and it's also a feeling you get here and it's kind of exciting it's uh, i i like that sort of like you know it's it, this is the whole world being presented in this in this film here it's yeah. it's that with like the weirdness and just kind of the the the, the production design it just has a a different kind of look that's like <laughs> so un- let's that's talk about other. rihanna she's great uh-huh. <laughs> we should talk about Rihanna because she's definitely somebody who a lot of people will say, "Oh my gosh, she's in this film. What does she do? You know, how how is she?" She's an entertainer in the film, and she does fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of her performance is more a feat of like special effects, of course. Yeah, and there's probably body yeah, doubles just... and whatever the case. But you know, for her, not, I'm not talking about like just like that dance sequence, but her character also evolves, and you're like, "Oh, well, this is." Another, again, another neat element as to uh, uh, why this has to happen in the story. Like, it just completely makes sense why uh, Valerian would need to go down there to, like, the, this, like, red light district. And it's partly, I mean, the way that I normally sort of react against a lot of CGI. Her performance is, is a big, uh, there's a lot of CGI in, involved in her, like, transformations but i kind of enjoyed all of it like when he's watching her performance i was on board with like you know this spectacle of her like you know show i i thought it was i i was i was involved in it i i liked it yeah um again i i think you guys liked the acting more than i did and i'm not saying that it was bad at all it's just more that i can definitely see where people would have some pitfalls of Oh well, the, the lines are here are very lame. It's like, yeah, they are, and I can definitely see that, and I would also grant you that. Um, but like what Mark was saying, if you're either uh, Mark and Aaron were saying, you're either on board or you're not. And it's not going to take away from the visual aspects of it, but it might take you away from how much you care about Valerian and or Laureline uh, in this story. What else can we say about this? Because I, I really just want to say, please see this movie. Me too. It deserves I, I to be made more money. I actually just want to say that I actually want to see it again um, in theaters. And then I also just would wish that people would go see this movie. To, I think you phrase it pretty well, Aaron. It, it almost feels like an independent film based on the number of producers and production companies that are with it. But, um, you know, I, I do th- it's I fun. Do think it's, it's good, I, fun adventure, action adventure movie. Yeah, I do think that uh, news reports that it's the most expensive independent film ever made don't help it because that sets up an unrealistic expectation that this is going to be like something, you know, like the most amazing thing. If you just go into it and expecting just a fun, enjoyable film, it's going to deliver. I mean, I, I think it really is a, yeah. a a fun film. But this there is a, I mean, it. it did cost a lot of money and i think unfortunately that is probably going to be hard for it to recoup yeah well it costs a lot of money but i definitely saw it on the screen right well but 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 these sort of superlatives of most expensive ever made it starts to set it up as like you know put it in a league with like uh avatar or things like that and you know it's i think you just go in and just expect like just kind of a fun sci-fi you know, saga and, and that's, it delivers on that. So we should say, see this movie, <laughs> see it in I, big I, theater. Yeah. See I, it big. I, I really hope that people would go out and see this movie. 
Rucker Hauer is in it. Herbie Hancock. Her- Ethan Hawk. Best Herbie Hancock movie of all time. Putting <laughs> it right there right now, guys. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, I, I I was very, very happy with um, Valerian. Um, and, yeah, it's it, 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 between this and Dunkirk, it's been a very good – I mean, in addition to going to Comic-Con for, like, the past five days, I got to see the two movies I was looking forward to most this summer, and they both delivered immensely. So I was very, very happy as far as the cinematic experience I got to have this past week. There you go again. Let's move on. Let's get to feedback. Feedback, 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 feedback. <laughs> this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. On an already long episode, we actually got a ton of feedback this week from you guys. So thank you very much. For thank you for that. I mean, you know, it comes and goes, but yeah, we love feedback. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go th- we're gonna go through all the questions here from our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. And so we're gonna read the questions that you gave us answers to. So here we go. Favorite World War II film. Tyler writes uh, Inglorious Bastards, Casablanca, and Saving Private Ryan, Dunkirk, and the actual way scenes from I guess war scenes from Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, John writes Great Escape and Saving Private Ryan. Chris writes Where Eagles Dare, Guns of Navarone, Bridge Too Far, and Bridge on the River Kwai. Justin writes U571, Saving Private Ryan, Fury, Bridge on the River, and Bridge on the River Kwai are my favorite. Jay writes The Great Escape and The Bridge on the River Kwai. Philip writes The Wind Rises. Manish writes Atonement and Casablanca. That's a lot of different, I mean, there's actually a lot of mention of some films here, but, um, yeah, a lot of good movies. For a lot sure. of good movies. Of World War II movies. I'm a huge fan of The Bridge on the River Kwai, along with many others that were mentioned, but I just want to shout that one out again yeah. as well. So. Shout out to Casablanca. Uh, Casa, yeah, those are Casablanca, Bridge on the River Kwai. You're naming all the uh, – Saving yeah. Private Ryan. You're naming all the best. All the best. Uh, next one we asked everybody, Christopher Nolan has a big impact on blockbuster cinema in recent years. Who is the best blockbuster filmmaker currently working? Friend of the show, Jordan writes, Nolan gets my vote. Also, uh, have yet to come across a Vaughn film I didn't like. Props to Abrams and the Russo brothers. Friend of the show, Scott writes, either Nolan or Matt Reeves. Justin uh, has Nolan never heard of him. I would say James Cameron. Uh, Alessandra writes, I agree with Scott, but Cameron is clearly the most successful in terms of box office. Tyler has, it's Nolan. Dunkirk proves this beyond a reasonable doubt. Manisha has Matt Reeves for pure directional vision. Is it too early to say Patty Jenkins? Uh, Harry Harry <laughs> writes Nolan Hard. by a square mile. George writes Yui Bull. <laughs> Chris has Nolan or Cameron, and lastly Philip has J.J. Abrams. I thought this was an interesting question because I brought this up to friends show Scott Mendelson uh, mm-hmm. during during the Dunkirk screening because I think Nolan is you know there's certainly something to be said for what Nolan's done with you know cinema as far as making blockbuster films I mean right yeah the, the technology the dark, he's using the, and all this the, the Dark Knight really introduced the whole IMAX camera thing in, in like big movies like to to kind of degree it's at right now and I think it's really stuck quite well with a lot of films and like his movies are very consistent as far as what he's been making mm-hmm. um, in recent years and making like event cinema out of his name uh, James Cameron would be another one Obviously, there's a bit of a gap between the films he makes, but he's certainly a very great, a great action director who makes great blockbuster movies. Yeah, I mean, well, has Steven Spielberg given up the mantle for that? Well, I wouldn't say he's a blockbuster filmmaker anymore. He makes these, he makes no. adult dramas, like, but they're, I mean, like BFG and Lincoln. And he makes really good know, films. He makes right. really, yeah, I'm not saying, yeah, but like during the '80s, sure, sure, like, yeah. Was, yeah, or even early time. '90s, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, and they, I mean, here or there, yes, he makes movies that make a lot of money and are successful at kind of capturing a, a certain type of feel. But these days, I would say he's like the he's, he hasn't made many like big blockbuster movies, right? In, 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 lately, lately, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, as of late. 
That's why. That's why I specifically said current. I mean, yeah, because I certainly acknowledge Spielberg. Right. Like, of he course, yeah, he's in the pantheon. But uh, Matt also, or, uh, Scott also mentioned Matt Reeves, which I think is also a good pick. Which is a good answer. I mean, I mean we just talked about War, uh, War a couple weeks, last week. Or the, so. There's War and Dawn and there's Cloverfield, which are all like big blockbuster films yeah. that have something going on with them. I, Let Let Me In was a bit of a diversion, but I mean, as far as making kind of like smart blockbuster films, there's it with like a level of craft there. There's a yeah. lot to admire. And yeah, J.J. Abrams is another one that I think a lot of people would kind of go to. Right. Because um, there's a lot of like, you can look at like the Marvel stuff where it's like there's not really they're not really director driven. And I wouldn't say Zack Snyder is really beloved um, just by making popular blockbuster movies. So it's like, who's the best blockbuster filmmaker currently? And Peter Jackson would be another one that I'd say is, you know, fits that fits that to the T as well yeah. as far as the movie he's making. All right. Next question. Favorite films about a rescue mission. Chris writes Aliens. It was a rescue mission as well as a bug hunt. Justin writes, you know, my vote. Black Hawk Down, O, oh, and Wild Wild West, just because. <laughs> Philip writes Black Hawk Down. Jay writes The Lost World, Jurassic Park. <laughs> and Manish writes Django Unchained. Nobody mentioned Rescuers Down Under. I'm bummed. No one mentioned Rescue Dawn. That one, too. Yeah. It's a fantastic film. It's, it is very good. Mark, any anything to add for Rescue Mission movies? Uh, did you say Pri- Saving Private Ryan? Nope, nobody's nobody mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> All right, next one. Not, not a controversial pick, but very, uh, very <laughs> controversial. <laughs> uh, next one. Uh, what film would you love to see projected in seventy millimeter? Friend of the show, Scott writes the Oogly Loves in Big Balloon Adventure. Uh, <sighs> Philip has the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Liam has the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I agree. Uh, Dennis is Valerian. I also agree. Eric has Blade Runner. Chris has Big Blue. Justin writes every film. Uh, Michael has The Room. And lastly, Manish has Vertigo. Lawrence of Arabia. That would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Which I, I saw that in 70mm on, and I saw that earlier this year. Um, it's great to watch in 70mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of like the kind of the epics and like a lot of. Yeah, like Cecil B. DeMille like type epics, like films like that were you know shot with that. Like Ben Hur would be like a cool one to see that kind of format, whatnot. Um, I don't know. uh, Tron recently screened apparently at the Egyptian Theater in seventy millimeters. Which oh, the original Tron, the original Tron. I would have loved to see that in seventy millimeter. I would too. I would love to see that too. Yeah. Uh, Next question: We have favorite film that involves traveling around to different planets. Chris writes: I feel it will be Valerian, otherwise Guardians of the Galaxy or Dune. Mm Justin writes, Star Wars is probably a given here, but I would say Star Trek 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy. Manish writes, Star Wars. Dennis writes, Star Wars. And George writes, Serenity. Hmm. All right. Covered the bases for me. Yeah, that, that's actually a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in terms of multiple planets. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's covering a lot of the good bases. Anything to add, Mark? Um, no, I, I think you guys covered it. Okay. I guess the fifth element. I mean, they do go to Flossed in Paradise. So. That's true. I would add John Carter, but that's Austin only one planet. Paradise! <laughs> uh, next question. What are your favorite really crazy alien designs in film? Dennis has most of the men in black stuff, and yeah, the xenomorphs. Uh, Justin has The Thing! Chris writes, first time I saw a xenomorph, it blew me away. Also, The Host. Jay writes, Groot is pretty odd. And lastly, Manish has Immortan Joe. <laughs> Mad Max. Yeah. Um, 
favorite crazy alien designs. Uh, the xenomorph is a, a a fascinating design. Yeah, I would say difficult to kill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, favorite weapons from a sci-fi film. Uh, William Babini, uh, possibly future guest on the show, actually uh, writes all circus-themed <laughs> weapons and killer clowns from outer space. <laughs> Um, the six sticks from Minority Report, the glow rod from Demolition Man, the Zorg ZF-1 pod weapon from The Fifth Element, featuring a flamethrower, which is Gary Oldman's favorite, the Arasaka HLR-12X heavy laser rifle from Akira, the exosuit from Edge of Tomorrow, the black hole bomb sphere from The Arrival, a movie we did a commentary track for and talked very much about <laughs> the black hole's bomb sphere, uh, and I'm not sure if it technically qualifies, but I'll throw in the glaive from Kroll in there too. Mm. Uh, George writes the thing that Charlie Theron uses to make all the cars swarm the superheroes in the Fate of the Furious. <laughs> Justin writes the little quick, the noisy cricket from Men in Black. Dennis writes ditto. Ali writes a towel. Congratulations, Ali, on your new child, by the way. Ali writes uh, a, t- a towel from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Chris writes Vasquez's smart gun from Aliens. Noisy cricket. Nobody, noisy. Men- nobody mentioned the phaser from Star Trek? Nobody mentioned I wouldn't. That. Um, <laughs> Aaron would never mention that. <laughs> I mean, there's a lightsaber, but nothing's all as good as a good blaster by your side either. So, you know. <laughs> but did Hans shoot first? <laughs> uh, now we move to questions for us on the panel here. Marcus, friend of the show, Marcus writes Is Christopher Nolan trying to make uh, covering Tom Hardy's mouth a thing? <laughs> I mean, it is, yes. it is I mean, very good, like, Bane grandfather origin Bane. story. Yeah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> What's funny is that if you take into account that that uh, Christopher or uh, Tom Hardy's character gets captured by the uh, uh, enemy forces, he could potentially have been thrown into the pit and then recovered by Ra's al Ghul later in Dark Knight Rises. I I did like the part when um w- w- when they first started and Tom Hardy put his mask on and mm-hmm. he's like the Axis rises and then they started like shooting at the planes. <laughs> real line from the movie, moment. by the way. <laughs> yeah, real line, real line. It happened. It was really out of place, <laughs> yeah. but I liked it. Alessandro asks, "What movie or type of movie would you like to see Christopher Nolan direct next?" Hmm. I mean, I really Musical. like his crime heist movies a lot, so I don't know. Musical. Musical would be interesting. But uh, I, I would actually you, want another sci-fi movie for personal one. I'd like to see like a whatever his version of a horror film would be, which I assume would be like a very intense psychological thriller. Um, but I, I think there is I mean, after watching Memento again the other week uh, when we did the commentary, I there you know, there are some great shots of like Lenny discovering things that are ty- kind of you know, thrilling, like when he when he unearths like the tattoo that says don't answer the phone while he's on the phone. And it's kind of this horror moments like I there's stuff like that where I'd like to see Nolan Explorer. Um, and like the grand scale that he has to work with now, given that he can do anything he wants to with cameras. <laughs> and he's got the green light from like any uh, production studio. So, uh, <laughs> Philip asks, what supplemental edition of a film that is to say director's cut, final cut, extended edition made the most improvement over its theatrical release? That's a good question. Blade Runner. Yeah. Cause, uh, I think that didn't really Scott say like, don't watch anything else except for my cut. Well, I mean, they for- they forced the narration on the original Blade Runner. The ending's different. I completely prefer any any director's cut version of Blade Runner, including the final cut, which is really the best cut yeah, of Blade I, Runner. I mean, I, I, that's the... People also say um, 
was it the the what's the one with the last kingdom is that another really scott movie uh no the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven oh, sorry that's that's a fantastic film too yeah. that's 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 top five really scott for me because right. of that it's good <laughs> but watch the director's cut don't watch the actual right and just a, just a fantastic i mean movie all around yeah. watching the entire which is like three hours and change like it's a long movie but it's really good okay. I, I mean I, I like it more than gladiator i i because I'm not huge on Gladiator, but as far as his historical epics go, uh, yeah, Kingdom of Heaven is a fantastic one. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen all the versions of Das Boot, but I've heard that the various editions of Das Boot um, work quite well as far as uh, director's cuts go. Um, Almost Famous goes either way for me. I know there's like the untitled version, but I mean the regular version of an Almost Famous is it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. solid so. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other like ones. In terms of the uh, director's cuts being, or any other cut being, maybe perhaps better. Um, yeah, better. Um, I think aliens. The, alien. I mean, that goes in. The like, there's stuff in aliens that I like. Like, yeah. it would be more. I'd be more picking and choosing stuff that I like out of the aliens director's cut. But it's certainly, it's still great. Like, it's the, they're the same right. thing to me. It's just I don't know if it outclasses the the cut they have. I do like the extended version of Watchmen. Um, mm, I do okay. think, just because I'm a huge fan of the graphic novel, I think adding more to that film works. For... I, I can't speak from experience, but I know people who feel like Once Upon a Time in America, the director's cut is better. Hmm. Also, I'd like to say that the Lord of the Rings, the extended versions, are pretty good. Like it, it paints a better, complete story, even though you're going to spend like a whole day watching them. I'd say, yeah, I'd say the. Uh... Because fellowship's just—it's just longer. I mean, it's longer, right. but it, it but, gives you much more like engrossing backstory about the about the uh, hobbits. You see engrossing, I say okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I felt better or I felt worse for Samwise uh, after watching the extended. Um, anyway. I mean, two 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 towers I think benefits the most from um, that extended version, mainly because I just really like the two yeah, towers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and also you like the the forty five minute action sequence. Well, that that too, but I think there's just bits bits and pieces within there that I think really like the like the very end of it where the trees take out the rest of the it's there's good mm-hmm. stuff the two towers extended. Okay, moving on. Uh, my question. Uh, this is from Anish. If you could host a Comic Con panel, what's the topic? I don't know what their name. Obviously, that's a fun question, and yeah, obviously having just Abe and I riffing on <laughs> a stage would be fun, and inviting various guests up would be cool. Um, I think there'd be some fun. To, I mean, we, doing these commentary tracks, which I have a lot of fun doing, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of both kind of delve, you know, having fun riffing and whatnot, but also delving into kind of the history of the filmmakers at the time. I think there'd be some kind of fun, like retrospective, I could do that I'd have a lot of fun being like the moderator of. Oh no, no, no! Um, retro reviews, retro reviews. Exactly. Out now presents retro reviews. Yeah, which we <laughs> haven't done in like uh, four years, but or something like like a filmmaker spotlight or something where you kind of go over like depending on, like a year or something of a filmmaker or something like that. I think there'd be a lot of fun to be had yeah, covering that kind I of like gra- that. Uh, and lastly, a question we asked, or last the last question that was asked of us, <laughs> Justin asks if you had a choice to redo any movie from any time, shot for shot, with today's technology, what would you pick? Gus Van Sant Psycho. Um, let me, no, that's not real. Um, uh, shot for shot remake uh, with today's technology. I don't know, because some of the things that make them so good is because they, they did a lot during that time period in which they made the movie. So, for example, like um, the practical effects in The Thing or something like that, where it's like, yeah, you can make it cleaner looking, but I was pretty grossed out and pretty... Uh, pretty spooked by what I saw, um, and sometimes newer isn't always better. Because I think about the Terminator as well. 
Like, yeah, you can make him less, uh, more menacing, but seeing him carve out his own eyeball in claymation and stop motion, that was pretty uh, horrific. I would say if if you did like a shot for shot remake of something like Jason and the Argonauts where you still use stop motion animation, I think there'd be something cool to see out of that. Okay. Like if you if you're using the same basically techniques to make that movie again, but just with like new actors or what have you, like if they're going to actually go that route, I think there'd be something fun to to kind of take away from having like like if like Peter Jackson did that. Like he did that with like um, in on the King Kong Blu-ray, there's that lost scene of the when they fall in the bug pit which is like a famous lost scene from the original King Kong, which they brought to life in the 2005 version. Mm-hmm. But on the on the Blu-ray for King Kong, they remade what they thought that would have looked like using the technology from 1933. So it, it, because it's Peter Jackson, he went for like perfectionist detail on what that would be like of having stop-motion clay figures and whatnot. So it, yeah. something like that applied to a movie like Jason and the Argonauts, like an, a Ray Harryhausen movie you know, made today, like seeing like Leica do a stop motion animation remake yes. or something. Like, yeah. I think there'd be, there'd be something cool to glean out of that. By the way, Leica, we stopped by a cool Leica exhibit, which is, I saw about on your the Instagram Comic- photos, which is talked about on the Comic-Con podcast. So there you go. Boom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank, uh, th- thanks everybody for those questions. We got yeah. a lot of questions this week, which that was really terrific. Cool. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Um, Abe. <laughs> yes. What, um, what time, what time is it? I think it's time for a very quick game here. Fun fact, that's actually the noise that happens when Valerian shoots his gun. There you go. Sound effects sound effects source for you. Hey, do you have a quick game for us? I have a very quick game for you guys. It's called FAQs, Christopher Nolan Edition. I'm going to be reading you some FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions, from IMDb. They go from from very vague to more super specific. Uh, and if you know the movie that I'm talking about, buzz in with your name and give me the title of the movie. This Makes is like sense? Jeopardy. Pretty much like Jeopardy, yeah. Again, very vague to more specific. Probably having the movie title in the last FAQ. Here we go. Which scenes were shot in IMAX? Next one. What happened to Lau? Aaron. Aaron. The Dark Knight? The Dark Knight is correct. The last question I would ask is, what does the Joker mean by tryouts? Uh, next one here. What is the twist at the end of the film? Next FAQ, what does Tesla's machine do? Aaron. Aaron. The Prestige. That's correct, yeah, the Prestige. Next one here, where is Gotham City located? Next FAQ, were the buildings in the Batmobile or, and the Batmobile computer generated? Still go either way. Next one. What happened to Detective? Wait, wait. Are we so we are we supposed to answer these or you're just no gonna... no no? They're they're questions. Yeah, they're they're just questions, questions that are that are very that are pertain to a particular movie, and they you don't have to answer them. But if you know the question in which they are being asked for, which movie they're being asked for, buzz in and give me the, oh, uh, okay. the title of the movie. Uh, so next question here. What happened to Detective Flass? Aaron. Aaron. Batman Begins. Batman Begins is correct. Next one here. Is the condition in the movie real? Aaron. Aaron. Memento. Yes. Wow. First question. (laughs) Went in on there. Next one here. What were plan A and plan B? Next one. Who are they? 
Interstellar? Mark yeah, Interstellar. Mark Interstellar, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got one. <laughs> Next one here. What year does the film take place? <laughs> <laughs> Next one here. What's happening in the extraction mission at the beginning of the, of the film? Aaron. Aaron. Inception. Inception is correct. And the last one here is, uh, if you guys can guess a movie that stars Robin Williams, Al Pacino, and Hilary Swank. Insomnia? Insomnia is correct, because they didn't have any (laughs) FAQs written on MDB. So I wanted to include Insomnia. Pretty cut and dry on that movie. (laughs) There's only one movie that would answer to that description <laughs> and with that aaron you won the very quick game of games faq christopher <laughs> nolan edition all right <laughs> that was pretty decisive <laughs> but you caught Let's on and look. you actually got it uh pretty quickly <laughs> after the second one okay thank you <laughs> Let's move on. Let's get to out now. Presents what's out now. These movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. We got quite a few things here. First up, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, it's all right. There's some interesting mild things. pass. Yeah, mild pass. <laughs> the Boss Baby. Pass. I I I I was not big on the Boss Baby. It's getting in a Un- sequel. It was a big hit though. I know it was a huge I mean, hit. Or a bigger hit than they're making. They're, make, they're making a sequel. Making a sequel. So, yeah. Well, they are. Unforgettable. Yay. This is the one with uh, Heigl and Rosario Dawson. Pass. <laughs> Big pass. Uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm make its Blu-ray oh, debut wow. this that was week. A, that was a good movie. Thanks to Warner Archive. That's another thing I talked about on the Comic-Con podcast. More teases. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gifted. This is the film of Chris Evans um, that I was a fan of from you, Mark yeah, Webb. Yeah, you said that it was uh, good. Yeah, I liked it quite oh, a bit. It's already coming out. It came out in April, so it's been a while. It's been three okay. months. No man on video. Um, Girls season six, the final season of Girls. If you're a fan of the show, this. uh, Let's see. Also, uh, Emerald City season one. This was the the um, the Wizard of Oz like gritty TV series directed by Tarsum um, of the Fall fame. And I like um, his visual aesthetic. I watched I watched the first episode. It certainly looks like Tarsum doing TV. (laughs) Um, but I mean, it is it is like a gritty version of Wizard of Oz. It's it's I didn't go all the way through it. I think I still have it on the DVR, but I might someday. But it's it gave me it gave me an it gave me an excuse to show Anna the Fall, and we really like the Fall still. Yeah. So we'll put that out there. Uh, let's see on uh, out on Keith from Kino this week. Silkwood, the film with uh, Meryl Streep, uh, Kurt Russell, and is it Cher? Silkwood. Yeah, she's yeah. in that. Makes its Blu-ray she's debut. Uh, on Criterion this week, Lost in America. Albert Brooks, great film, hilarious. I'm <laughs> so very funny. excited. I'm very excited to get this. Um, there's a terrific scene with um, him and Gary Marshall, R.I.P. Gary Marshall. R. That's R. like one of the funniest things that's up there. It's so good. Um, let's see. The complete Billy Jack collection. Mark, did you see the Billy Jack? Do you know Billy Jack? Do you remember that? I did not. Okay. It's like this old cult film thing. I thought it's... it's Not to say oh, you're old. Oh, you're talking about... Uh, he's like a... Yeah. He's like a almost like a Western kind of guy that yeah, like yeah. stands up for the the Native Americans and the, yeah. oh, I have seen that. Yeah, it's like I think the Legend like, of Billy. Yeah, it's like the yeah the complete Billy Jack collections coming out. This so week. it's funny that film it cost like literally nothing to make, but then it yes. was like a huge hit when it came out. Yeah, so 
Yeah. yeah, it's like one of those like it's almost like a an example of like how you can spend nothing on a film and then have like a huge hit. It's it's I mean it, it has a charm to it, but it's it's very low budget. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. It's not really good. Like it has a chart. Like no, you said, we, we have we very, actually. It's, it's kind of a curiosity piece, actually. I, I took a I took a blockbuster films class in college, and we actually studied. Oh, the, okay. I thought you meant like yeah. the the company, and I was like, that's cool. No, we took a block. <laughs> took a blockbuster genre class in, uh-huh. in uh, college and act billy jack was one of the things we were kind of studying for a little bit as far as making a film from nothing and turning it into a giant franchise nice. um, let's see preetzi's honor makes its blu-ray debut this week i am a huge fan of preetzi's honor it stars jack nicholson and kathleen turner as two right it's ba- it's basically mrs and mr. angelica mr. houston and angelica houston an oscar-winning role it's mr and mrs smith before mr and mrs smith because jack nicholson and turner play rival assassins that were hired to kill each other and then fall in love instead <laughs> um it's a very good film it's like, i think it's john houston's like last movie or something like yeah, that too. One of his last it's, movies. it's one of his last movies for sure yeah but it's really good i'm really excited Not to get the very that last but, but close it, yeah, it's to what, it. what yeah, it's close to it because he was yeah. like gotta be like late 80s when he was jack john he made a ton of movies for a long time and lastly reanimator limited edition blu-ray new remastered um i believe video transfer on there i'm a big reanimator fan uh the Stuart gordon film uh very gory zombie movie uh (laughs) i love the trailer very funny movie um a lot of your (laughs) reanimator is a really solid cult film (laughs) i mean i very much recommend it to horror fans uh, that's that now presents out out now. Extremely cool. These are things that are now streaming on Netflix. Uh, first up, the incredible Jessica James. Uh, this is the film that stars Jessica Williams from The Daily Show. It was at Sundance, got really strong reception, and now makes its Netflix debut. Uh, by the time this podcast is out, you should probably be able to see it. I've heard a lot nice. of great things about it. Um, Ozark. This is a new series on Netflix starring Jason Bateman and Kath, uh, uh, Kath, uh, Catherine Keener. Um, I, I don't know what this is about exactly. Uh, I'm it's sure dramatic. it's probably a dark. It's dramatic yeah. with probably some dark humor in there. Jason Bateman, Kathleen, uh, <laughs> Catherine Keener in the TV series on Netflix. Um, yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah. Why not? And lastly, a movie called Take Me from uh, Pat Healy, uh, an actor I like quite a bit. He's making his directorial debut here. I believe it's like a, a, a kidnap dark comedy type movie hmm, okay. one that I look forward to checking out. Uh, and yeah, that's extremely cool. Next week's show. Next week we have Atomic Blonde with uh, Charlie Theron, the um, '80s assassin comic book movie. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last thing we do here: what should people go see now, and what do you plan to see next? Mark Hoban, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, well, I mean, my favorite film right now is The Big Sick, so that would probably be my my go-to film. What okay. are you seeing next? Uh, I probably will see Atomic Blonde. That's probably the next one. Uh, curious, are you guys going to review the Emoji movie? Maybe in passing. I can't get through the trailer of the Emoji movie. So <laughs> it is co-written by Mike White, and I'm he aware. Has, and he's written some good movies. So that gives me some some possibility that it could be good. Noah Baumbach wrote Madagascar three, <laughs> and that's you know, probably okay. one of the better ones. Which always makes me laugh when I think about that out loud. <laughs> Again, I can't get through the trailer of the Emoji movie. I'm hard. I, I can't be convinced that the Emoji movie is even a movie. <laughs> but, um, we'll yeah, we'll see. Abe, what should people see in theaters right now? A lot of good movies out. I definitely recommend a lot of them. But definitely go see Valerian. Go help it out. Next, Atomic Blonde. It 
it it, it seemed like the summer was kind of due for like, are we going to get another kind of like the blockbusters all suck summer? But then things really turned around. Yeah, there are really there's like five movies that we could all name right now that are like uh, should be on people's watch list. So yes. Spider-Man was really good. Go like, see huh? that. Yeah. I feel like it kind of got like it's sort of it came out and then it kind of disappeared. But like that was really good. Yeah. I was surprised. <laughs> and I was I was honestly I'm kind of was greeting another Spider-Man movie like, oh, gosh, another one. This is like the third time. And it turned out to be really good. I mean, and if, if I feel that way, I think a lot of people would enjoy it. Uh, but I would, yeah, I would say the big sick Dunkirk and Valerian are things to see on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunkirk and Valerian because the big screen will make those movies just work so wonderfully. Valerian because it needs the money. Big sick because also it's just really sweet. Um, and the next thing I've actually seen Atomic Blonde already, so I think Detroit is the next thing on my list, which I'm very excited about. Also, yeah, uh, sometime very. I mean, it comes out wow. the week after Atomic Blonde, so I mean, it's coming soon. So. A little bit envious there, but okay. I, I'm are you allowed to, to talk about Detroit or not? Not Detroit. Are you allowed to talk about? Um... Atomic Blonde. Uh, Atomic Blonde. Not while Abe's on the podcast. Please don't. <laughs> don't. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work in my personal blog, the code is Zeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews. You can also find me on YSablu.com. All my comic con coverage will be there. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. You find more fun stuff over at Oakley Doakley, Instagram, and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose, hashtag Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, hashtag Luke Besson. Mark Hoban, where can people find more of your work online? You can follow more of my work on fastfilmreviews.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. Um, feel free to find all of our episodes over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. You can also hear us at SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLD. Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on, on anything we discussed today, but especially Dunkirk and Valerian, and of course our Facebook banner contest over at OutNowPodcast at gmail.com. Send us a whole bunch of fun stuff over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet it at us at twitter.com slash podcast. And, of course, send us plenty of gifts involving various Luke Besson films over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. With all that out of the way, Mark Hoban, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you for having me. For sure. This is an, uh, an epic episode. Of Very, <laughs> yeah. If you listen through, movies. then fantastic. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Yes, for sure. Thanks for listening to our thoughts on Dunkirk and Valerian. Please listen to our uh, Comic-Con episode. A lot of cool stuff there. And yeah, until next time, um, that's going to go for this week. So until then, so long. And goodbye. Didn't know what time it was. The lights were low, oh, oh. I leaned back on my Laying down some rock and roll that I slowly said Then the loud sound did seem to fight Came back like a slow voice on a wave of fight That were no DJ, that was hazy cosmic time There's a starman waiting in the sky But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a starman waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's all worthwhile He told it Let the children lose it Let the children use it Let all the children do get 
Oh my god! I came late to the movie. <laughs> it's the fuck like that's it's my it's like the best opening sequence. <laughs> like, All right, no more talking. God. god. <laughs> I'll check it out. Check it out. Like I feel like your review is tainted. Whatever you thought of it now, because like you didn't see the setup to this. How movie. dare you, sir? You don't know my I, thoughts. I I don't know your thoughts, but if even if they're positive, they would be more positive because of how great this opening <laughs> is. <laughs> 